Shit, I've been at the bottom for a while, you know? I know that. But, uh... Shit, we in the skyline now, baby. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Skyline Podcast. I am your host, Jake, and today with me are Trent and Deerich. Guys, how are you guys doing? A little disappointing. It's not quite like last year's uh, postseason for both uh, Deerich and I. I'm excited still. It's I'm fun excited. to shake things up. I agree. I agree. It's um, the one thing that did not get shaken up, as I've said in Slack multiple times now, death taxes in California, Seattle, Los Angeles, making the playoffs in the Pacific. Um, we'll get to the overall Pacific uh, later, but first let's start with your guys' division, uh, the Atlantic. It was uh. a weird year. Miami won the division, Washington won 93 games, and Pittsburgh was the three seed. For the first time since 2002, we will not see the Atlanta Braves playing meaningful, meaningful games in October. And a Cincinnati team that had nearly an 80% chance of making the playoffs as recently as the end of July couldn't even get to 80 wins. How did we get to where we are now in the Atlantic? Man, I don't know. This yeah, is, I uh, have no freaking idea. What's fun about the Atlantic is we have seven teams who think they're competitive and seven teams that are competitive. I mean, even the Phillies, this disaster of a year, they're not the freest team in the world. You can't pencil it in as a W when you play them. I, just top to bottom, outside of Baltimore, this division's the best in baseball, really strong. Uh, sad to be on the outside looking in, but what can you do? These teams played great. As recently, so using the, uh, uh, the S-plus playoffs chart, Cincinnati had an 83.5% chance of making it uh, on July 29th. In every single sim since that point, his playoff odds decreased until they reached the 0.0%. Just sad. It is sad, but I can't say I'm not. I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah, uh, see? a lot of it was these guys, these two pitchers he went out and got, who started so hot for him. Uh, Potts and Gomez, they both just kind of came to reality the last two months of the year and started giving up home runs in Cincinnati like they're supposed to do, and it all all collapsed off of that. I mean, you can see on even Gomez's profile page, I mean, I was going to try to go in deeper, but you don't have to look far. His last five starts, five losses. Loss, 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 loss. And you can look at the home runs, too. Yep. Two, two one, one two. two, zero, one. Yep. Some of those losses to bad teams, too. Baltimore, Philadelphia, Virginia. Yep. I mean, he, he was losing games hand over fist. Yeah, it's I mean, funny. He gave me shit for... Uh, I called out both those acquisitions on the pitchers. I just didn't think they'd be good fits. And uh, Matt wanted to rub it in my face because they started off so hot. But they came back to re reality, and it probably cost him at least... Like, I mean, he wasn't even in the hunt the last two weeks. In, Which in is sad. Gomez's last 11 starts, so since that July 29th when he was at 83%, Juan Gomez started 11 times after that. In those 11 starts, he gave up at least one home run 10 times and gave up multiple home runs four times. He only won one of those starts, had two no decisions, and had eight losses. Yeah. His ERA yeah, I mean, that... raised a full point. Yeah. That says the story. Uh, the offense came back to earth as well, but it was the pitching. The pitching was actually carrying them, which is not what you'd expect. 
I think the offense, if anything, uh, got a little unlucky down the stretch, but when you got no one who can pitch for you, it doesn't do you any good. It's interesting because uh, his his defense was a lot better this year, so uh, I thought that was going to be their undoing. Um, Tim Fleming was awful uh, at first uh, in terms of zone rating, just really bad, but uh, that's certainly the best place to put him. Um, uh, but there are there are a whole bunch of things that went wrong. Like Chris Scarf was, you know, not his Chris Scarfy self. You know, he's thirty two years old. You know, it was going to happen. And, yeah, and uh, even, even then, he's still pretty good. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it wasn't all negative. Look, Luis Murillo taught us what he could do in a full season. You know, and that's it. He's the guy who really fell apart, though. Um, knock in a hundred RBI. Yep. Uh, he wasn't yep. his normal self in the field. He only, he was only worth plus five, which is still fantastic. Um, right. But he wasn't that, that three-time gold glover that we saw in Washington. Oh, that guy's dead. Good Luis Mario is He's gone forever. This is the best we're going to get because he played 100 games. And if you look at him month by month, it's, it's really sad because he came out of the gate so hot. But then gave you a whole bunch of months in a row hitting 230. Uh, he just collapsed. Uh, going back to Juan Gomez, this was a, a tale of two seasons uh, for Gomez. And Gomez's first nine starts in the Cincinnati uniform went five and four with a two seven five ERA and only gave up two home runs in those nine starts. In his last eleven starts, only lasted sixty innings, had a six one two ERA and gave up fifteen home runs. Yeah, I mean, I think it was more pitching and some health that. Uh, kept him in it and I mean really good he was leading the division in the early going and it was uh, pitching that took it away from him in the later going I mean that's really what it is so you know what scares me is that for the most part he's reasonably healthy you got a full season of Mario Fleming didn't really uh, get hurt at all he didn't miss a game this year Luciano so, showed what he could do when healthy for the most part played 103 games yeah, he got hurt in the latter half of the year, which is part of the reason why they collapsed. But this is about as good as it gets health-wise for the Reds. I don't think you'll see a healthier team than they put on the field this year, which really scares me going forward. Because, I mean, are they ever going to win 80 games? I don't know. I don't think so. It's interesting. I mean, the the worst thing that happened to Gomez is that... Uh, on the 3rd of August, and we could look back at this, he extended him. Two years, $20 million each year. Oh. Uh, and that's going to hurt. Because yeah, he'll, be, he'll be on the block this offseason, guaranteed. And uh, I don't know what you do. I mean, Scarf's on the books for another year. Fleming's got a player option. Rooting, he opts out of that, I'm sure. Uh, looks like Murillo has an opt-out after next year. Uh, Nakamura has an option this year. So, you know, we'll see what some of these guys do. But if all these guys stick around, he's got 152 mil, 153 mil on the books already next year. So not a lot of room, at least by my math, to do a lot. And some of these guys are walking, right? Moreno's walking. Phil Saunders is going to walk. And I don't think he's going to rebuild because he never wants to. Uh, I mean, I guess he tried, but he wants to be competitive, which means you probably need to make some trades, get a little younger. 
But I don't, I don't know what pieces are super, super tradable that he has. Like, does anyone want Luciani for six years? Probably not. There's just not that many pieces that you can go out and get something with. I don't know how much value Juan Gomez even has. What about a former number one overall pick, Manny Esparza, who put up three and a half war in AAA this year? Well, I'm glad to see him. He got a taste of the majors. Um, hopefully, he becomes a player. Cause that yeah, would he help did, a lot. He didn't hit real terribly in the majors either. He held his own in the cup of coffee, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he's a good right. sign. I don't. He'll never be number one overall worthy. Like right. he's going to be a black mark on the Matt Beasley's and Nate Forts that we've had. Right. I think but the, not uh, a total loss. The most interesting trade piece that he has here is uh, Rich Helming, uh, the catcher with OSA has him tagged with. Good to great defense, 55 ability, 60 arm, a 50 contact, and a beautiful 75 home run power potential. Yeah, he's really young. Um, but you're right, OSA likes him. OSA doesn't like him a lot in the... Uh, potential category. Uh, potential category. That always worries me. The Ratings look like they should be more than they are. Um, but you're right. He's nice. Um, what's interesting is that I, I thought, I thought that Cincinnati drafted pretty well this last draft. I liked his first round pick. You're right. He got this helming guy in the fourth looks like you know, he did pretty well. Um, and he's got to He's got to stop trading his draft picks. He's got to start keeping those drafting guys. I'm trying to discipline myself to do that as well. Got to stop trading draft picks. Keep your draft picks, draft good guys. Um, and then. You know, see what you can do. But uh, to an extent, uh, this was inevitable. When you try to rebuild, or when you think you, your rebuild is over and you put it all in, there's going to be a fall. And uh, I'm not sure that his has ended yet, sadly. Uh, the 20 mil, two-year, 40 mil total extension for Gomez really hurts. We'll see. I, I bet he still gets something, some sort of value. It's funny, I, I think about Gomez every now and then, because he was in Tampa Bay for so long, kind of a unspectacular. He was a good pitcher, just nothing sexy about him. And then just got traded by team after team, and all the deals are super interesting. He went to Toronto for Jeremy Campbell, and then Toronto flipped him for a profit, got Sean York and a couple picks. Then San Francisco flipped him for a profit, got the Justin Muller results. It's... It's a bizarre road for him, and I think it's going to end here in Cincinnati. I think you'll, I would bet on him being on a new team come next year. I think he could get something for Gomez. I'm afraid he's going to have to keep salary or something, and that's always gets nasty, right? Especially since he just re, just since he just signed the extension. So, I mean, it's illustrative if you look at Gomez's profile page because it's pretty clear he was the best in San Francisco, which is not a shock. I mean, he's a fly ball pitcher. Needed the yeah, puck. Pitched in a lot of uh, a lot of pitchers' parks, which right. is why the numbers are so good. Yep. Pitched in Virginia. He was really good. Of course, he was a lot younger then, too. But, you know. I mean, I feel bad for Cincinnati. Uh, I sort of saw this coming. The, uh, uh, the run differential just wasn't there for them to be where they were. I mean, it just wasn't. And uh, I thought it was going to come, and it did. Feel badly for him. Always sucks. But. Yeah, anyway. Back. Enough <laughs> about the Reds. Yeah. But that, I think that is probably the best collapse 
maybe in the history of our league, uh, that two-month stretch just might be unprecedented for us. The, uh, yeah, the Boston Reds, had a similar yeah, thing. Uh, Boston had a similar thing, though, too, in any event. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jake. The, those Reds on, again, we go back to July 29th, the day it all fell apart. They were sitting in first place in the Atlantic, although the writing was on the wall. Their run differential, just like it is today, only the fifth best in the Atlantic. So that came back to bite them. Yeah, I remember we talked about last pod how uh, win probability it was Noah Wallace was le- leading mm-hmm. all pitchers. Or something like that. Kind of just a good example of and they why not. they were overperforming. Yep, and they were 18-9 and nine in one-run games. Man, that's tough. 18-9 and nine in one-run games? In the first well, half not of the, the season, end of yeah. The, right. Wow, so uh, the, that means in the latter half of the season. 21-18. and 18. 18. They finished 3-9. and so nine. That's brutal. That's I mean, that's a gnarly stretch. It's 3-9 three and, three and nine the rest of the way? Yeah. Yep. Oof. That'll do it. Um, if you want to look at a team that's really, really good in one-run games, Mike and I had a conversation earlier. Uh, he was talking to me about just these one-run losses to Seattle. Seattle went 28-14 and 14 in one-run games. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, if there, if there was a team that you'd expect to go that in one-run games, that, that's Seattle with that pitching staff. Um, but we will get to the Pacific later. Um, the other team of note before we... Right now, we're just mainly talking about the non-playoff teams uh, in each of these divisions. The Atlanta Braves, they missed. Uh, really you, sad. You, you had it pegged. You, you did think that your team was going to miss when we potted mid-year. Um, Silky had a fantastic year, but he was injured again. Covelli was okay. McCullough put it together in the second half. Where did it go wrong? You know, a lot of the guys did put it together in the last month or two of the year. So the numbers look a little better than they should. Like, even Chris Meacham has kind of respectable stats now. But I think we had a lot of bad luck. Uh, Some injuries. Lost trim for the year. Silky, Covelli, McCullough. All guys missed significant time. But I made some mistakes. I think I called up McCullough to the majors a little too quick. Uh, He needed a rehab assignment, and I was just desperate for offense, and it ended up biting me. So I made some mistakes, but... I don't. I think if we replayed this season, I think I make the playoffs nine or ten times out of ten. Like this feels, maybe I'm over it, my guys, but it feels a little fluky. It just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and even the guys who were pitching great. We talked uh, last pod about how Eddie Hill and Pat Clegg were in the running for their respective awards. Both guys imploded. The last, uh, both guys imploded in September, and it. That's what bit me. The offense picked up, and then yeah, my uh, pitching collapsed. The, the offense came bunches. Looking at the schedule here, just looking at some of these September losses. So this team that picked it up in August went 18-8, and but fell apart in September under 500. Um, just some of these losses, a 3-1 loss to Washington, a 4-1 loss to Pittsburgh, one-run losses to Miami, Philadelphia, uh, Virginia, giving up 12 runs to Baltimore down the stretch twice. And yeah. a shutout loss at Pittsburgh. You know, I wish we had the stat, because uh, we were just talking about one-run games. I wish we had the stat for two-run games or even three-run games. Just be interesting to see. I feel like I, le- I lost a lot of close ones, but that's kind of the nature of having a team that never scores. Uh, it was my offense that cost me this season. Disappointing. But last sim of the year, today, I felt like we had a chance, just needed to go 6-0. and We were against the bottom of the Atlantic and got smacked by Baltimore. 
So I can't complain. We didn't deserve it if we can't win a series against Baltimore with our lives in the line. I mean, yes, a six and a six and would have gotten you in, considering what happened to Pittsburgh. But you went two and four against Virginia and Baltimore. And yeah, you're not bullpen gonna... sucks. It's it's as we pause for something exceptionally nerdy. It's interesting you point out two run, three run losses. One run losses, if you believe the real nerds online that talk about MLB, they say accounts for somewhere in the neighborhood of forty percent of the variance in disagreement with Pythagorean record. And if you go to two run and three run, you get another 20% of the variance. And so it's really interesting that you point that out because you can explain a lot of the differences between Pythagorean expected record and real record based on one run, two run, three run games. All right. So End speaking of, of those dirty. one run games, if we really want to dig into it, um, the Baltimore Orioles had a Pythagorean record of 53 and 103. They ended up going 44 and 112, so they were minus nine in the Pythagorean record. I think a big reason for that they went 16 and 37 in one-run games. Yeah, it's gnarly. That's a lot of that's a lot of close games, though, even for the worst team, that almost the worst team in history. Three one-run games that they played. Which is really interesting, right? Like, that's a lot of one-run games. Only like, the a Cubs third of his played. games. Only the Cubs played as many. The Cubs went 31-22 and 22 in one-run games. That's a big yeah. swing. I mean, the Cubs are a playoff team if they performed like Baltimore in one-run games. They wouldn't be. Yes. They, yeah, they'd be nothing. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of do think one-run games, for the most part, are just luck-driven more than anything. Oh, yeah. I know having a good bullpen helps, but it doesn't really account for all games. Um it's not like you just never know. You can be down by one run a lot of ways. So, right for the most part, luck's the way to point the finger. One thing, the one thing that I would point out about Baltimore, although I don't disagree with what we're saying about the one-run losses, but uh, whatever a team goes, you know, they had a two eighty-two winning percentage this year. Like almost always, that is coupled with some bad luck. Like really extreme amounts of wins and losses by any team, are almost always coupled with their fair share of good or bad luck, depending on whether it was a good season or a bad season. So I think that's to be expected, right? They really were like a 53-win team, you know, give or take. Um, and uh, But they're probably happy, because if they were a 53-win team, they wouldn't have the 1-1. And congrats to them for getting double 1-1s. I don't know that that's happened in a long time. I think... Uh Detroit Germain did that uh, way back when. I believe he went Frichtel and uh, the catcher, uh, what was his name? Is it Howie Mullaney? Is it Mullaney? I think so. I think so. Mullaney was second overall, actually. I think he was. I thought it was. Yep, Detroit. Are we sure it's not Frichtel Cressman? Fricht, so Detroit had 1 1 in 03 and 05 and had 1 2 in 04. And you know okay. who went number one that year in 2004? Oh, also, Detroit had won two in 2002, so he had a top two pick in four straight drafts. Not a lot to show for it, but Did, I think Fricto Cressman, right? Yep. Anyone know? Fricto Cressman were the two one ones. I don't know who went one one in 2004. It was Tampa Bay. Oh, Heiselman. Heiselman. Oh yeah. What a That's sad story. For those of you who don't know. This was uh, he's like a top twenty prospect. He was a, he was a top eleven prospect when he debuted when uh, when it came out in April of 05. And yeah, then, he was a pretty clear first overall pick. 
And then April, so he has a great 2004 year in short season. 2005 comes around, he's the number 11 prospect. OSA has him with 75 contact, 50 power, 50 eye. And then three weeks later, he retires to become an NFL player. Yeah, that's a killer. Second time it's happened to a top prospect. This one is by far the biggest we've had. Oh, it's not even close. Still, still fun. Hey, all right. My guy was top. He's ranked the 15th best prospect. Give me a break. He was, he was pretty good. Yeah, see, I really, that's, that's really rough. Boy, oh, boy. Okay, enough with the uh, crap of the Atlantic. Let's go on to the three playoff teams. The Marlins won the division with 96 wins. Washington came in second with 93 wins. Pittsburgh came in third with 90 wins. The most intriguing team out of all of these, I believe we can all agree, is Washington. Um, because I believe a lot of these players had career years. I, I think we can all agree on that. Rory had a career year. Castillo had a career year. Um, Greg Griffin was really good in a walk year. Tony Cabin had a career year. You, uh, Trent, your friend Luis Andrade, followed up his 2011 campaign with another solid 2012 campaign. Is it really possible that Luis Andrade is just good and, like, we've all missed it? Like, I feel it's like... It's very possible. I feel like that can't be the case, right? Like, it has to be ridiculous. I, uh... You know, he's, he's not, like, an unknown commodity, though. This guy was in the league... As a starter for a long time, he's never good. Years old, yeah. So I, I don't think we missed it. I think this is dumb luck for both the Cubs and the Nats. That's what I believe. So yeah, I, I hate Luis Andrade, and I hope he pitches just as well for Washington as he did for Chicago. Like, Me too. Really? Me too. Um, An- another one of the career guys you left out was Jared Leval, the guy he traded for from the Yankees. An old, uh, a uh, former California Angel. He was a part of the Mike Earwood trade. That's right. Yeah. Oh. So, like a career bad hitter. A uh, guy who always drew a lot of walks but never could hit for average or power. Came to Washington, hits 350. It's just, <laughs> it's so silly. It's just one of those years. Yeah. So, yeah. his triple slash is 350, 435, 500. That's just incredible. Yeah, and his career up to then. 402 Babip. Yeah. I mean, I, anybody who tells you they know what is going to happen in the Atlantic bracket of the playoffs is lying. Right? Like, they're full of shit. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Any of these teams could win this. Like, really? Yeah. Anybody going to be shocked if Washington beats Pittsburgh? I'm not. I wouldn't be I mean, surprised if any team wins the, wins the Skyline Cup. Right. You know, if I mean, Washington these- runs the table, why not? Yeah, right. I mean, these teams could get on a run. Happens every year. There's always some surprise team. Last year, it was the Phillies. Like, every year, there's a team that goes farther than we think, right? And so, I, I feel like... It's are a crapshoot. Oh, my gosh. It's just a big mess, right? I mean, I was thinking about this today, that in every, every one of these playoff teams, I'll bet, had a seven-game stretch where in four of those seven games, they got held to... Just low run output by two pretty good teams, good pitchers. The bullpen blew a lead, and one of their starters had a bad outing, and they lost. If that happens in the playoffs in a seven-game stretch, you lose a series. And that can happen to anybody. Anybody, right? I guarantee every team in the playoffs has had that happen to them once this season. Or just like your right fielder decides that he doesn't want to learn how to catch anymore. Um, That can happen, too. 
Right. I mean, all sorts of things can happen. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, I got nothing. I mean, what's interesting, I, I, I do think that Iggy Nacho, as I like to call him, has some interesting decisions to make. Where does Daniel Hathaway bat in your playoff lineup? First, probably. He was batting him clean up. I love Which is, that, I, that's fine, too, when he's hitting I as good as he was. I love Rory in the cleanup. I'm a big John Rory guy. Uh, OSA has him with 55 contacts. Jerry has him with 75. Uh, I think Jerry's not unique. I think just OSA hasn't caught on. I bet most people have him with 70 or higher contacts. What makes him interesting is that he's a lefty who is super good against right-handed pitching. So even my scout has him with 80 contact mm-hmm. against right-handed pitching. Which, as I mentioned earlier, just makes me all the matter that he hit 365 against left-handed pitching this year. <laughs> but he's a good player against the right, the right pitcher. Right. And who, who, who's your Game 1 starter? Is it Kaven? All right, so I so was going to talk about this. So Game 1. He is exhausted. No, he's, yeah, no, so he's, I was going to talk about this when we talked about award voting, because Kaven, Caban... He's going to be, be brought up for Cy Young talks. But he pitched the last game of the year against the Reds, and it was a completely meaningless game. Now, if things broke the way they could have, it potentially could have, could have mattered, but it was really unlikely. So the fact that he pitched Cabin in the last game kills him. That sucks that he can't get, go game one. And then two, he sucked in the last game of the year. Which might cost him Cy Young because his ERA ballooned 15 points, and that a good chance that cost him the award. That meaningless, stupid decision to pitch him in the last game. As it turns out, over the past you know three starts at least, he hasn't been the normal Tony Cabin of the past year. I mean, he wasn't terrible against Miami. Five innings, three earned on only two hits, but he gave up those two hits yeah. for his home runs. Yeah, but that's not a guy with a three ERA. Three runs in five innings is not a three ERA. No, that is not. That's a uh, that's a little higher than a four five. What exactly. It's like a four seven five ERA. It's something like yeah. that. The thing about him is he's a forty five stamina guy who gave you two hundred innings, which, which means he's reliable for five. He's going to give you five innings, give up two runs. That is enough to put you in every ball game. What I right. like so. is that Luis Andrade reached the innings threshold by uh, by one out. Wow, good for him. Uh, but I think the biggest the biggest hurt here is going to be that Justin Olsen's out for the for the first series. Oh yeah, that's really tough. Justin Olsen had a 177 ERA this year and he even got babbip to, to death a 370 babbip. Uh, Which is so crazy cuz I mean, you kind of look at that, and it's accounted for in the whip, because his whip is huge. It's 1.39, and that should never equate to a ERA under 2, a right. whip that high. So he, he got out of a lot of jams left and right. Up until the last sim, he had an e, a whip higher than his ERA, which I would bet good money has never happened ever. Some guys are good at that, though, where they have ERAs that don't look like they're as high as they should be because of the whips or whatever. But yeah, no, I agree with you. That's certainly the biggest injury of the last sim. 
So minimum 100 innings. Do you know how many players have a lower ERA than Justin Olsen over the last two years? Uh, minimum 100 innings. Minimum 100 innings. Justin Olsen pitched 108 Ma- innings over the last two years. Maybe Basinger, Clegg. I would say Freilich, but I don't know if he got to 100. The answer is no one. Well, there, there you go. go. 1994 ERA is the lowest in the majors over the last two years, minimum 100 innings. Next close is Steve Young at 2.08, and then Murdoch Akbar at 2.23. Yeah, yeah pretty That's amazing run. how reliable Justin Olsen has been, and he has 77 saves as well uh, over the last two seasons. He feels like a ticking time bomb every time I look at the guy, but he's been super solid, and he's a big reason. I mean, if they just had average closer performance... They might not be a playoff team. You never know. It's really interesting. Unless he pitches, this is Ziggy Nacho, either Ulrich or Nyman on full rest, he's going to have to pitch somebody on short rest. My guess it's is Merguia. that Ulrich goes game one, followed by Merquia, and then Andrade, and then Caban, which I don't think is the, which is the inverse of what I, of what I would be wanting to do. Mm-hmm. I think you can justify starting Andrade in game one if you want to. And Mergui has been really good for him. Good for them. I mean, so, I mean, that was that was a pretty shrewd, a pretty shrewd trade. I think that he is going to be happy with Mergui. I, I, I think I trust Ulrich. I think you have uh, to go Ulrich in game one. I mean, he hasn't. I mean, been he's great. the only one rested. Yeah, he hasn't been great, but he's been good enough. He uh, showed that he can dominate a very good lineup against Miami. He went 7-3rd, uh, only gave up three hits. His last time out against Pittsburgh, he only had three earned, but did give up five runs. He hasn't been a world beater by any stretch, but it looks like the ratings are there, and, he, and he's looked good this year. Yeah, I don't think you have a choice. I mean, the way he yeah. managed the rotation, you couldn't have <laughs> you're, you just couldn't be in a worse situation. So I think you have to go which game one. You have to start Merguia at game two on short rest, and then by then that point, you can pitch the top of the rotation. Well, if he waits, if he waits till game two for Merguia, Merguia will be on full rest because it's all right. Mm. So, so, so that'll work out. And then Nyman can be in the bullpen, be a situational lefty. Um, one of the nice things is that Chris Don, who's going to have to step into the closer role, had one nice, fine season in Washington. Mm-hmm. Pitched real, real well for them. You did. So maybe the. Maybe they don't lose as much as we think they're going to lose with Olsen. Um, but because of that whole bullpen, my God, it's all these guys. God, they're so good. How are yeah. these guys so good? It, it reminds they, you of Montreal a couple years ago where they just all were good. Yeah, the Montreal, I guess Montreal, you're right, was felt fluky and it looked fluky. But the fact that the bullpen guys pitched so well and, and the rotation was so good. And the ri- the lineup was so good. It's just it's a perfect storm for this Nationals team. Yeah, I I really can't get over how good they were. How this is this roster is a ninety three win team because there's not a guy on this roster who was a disappointment. Who was below his career average. It's it's pretty remarkable. So I'm rooting for Washington to run the table. It'd be a fun story. <laughs> it certainly would be. And the team that they play, the Pittsburgh Pirates, not the uh, the best season in terms of um, Pittsburgh past. Fewest wins since 2001, but they still got in the playoffs with 90 wins. This is a team that was led by Chris Mulholland and his six war. 
because why not, you know? Yeah, you know what's – so we're talking about Mulholland. Oh, and before we go on, just because of how stupid OOTP is in the base playoff roster that they created, Mulholland was not on that roster. That kind of shows you that what a fluky fucking year it is. <laughs> if the game doesn't think he's good enough to be one of your 26 best dudes, but you hit 374. So Mulholland, uh, last game of the year against the Phillies, went one for five. Yeah, he had a double that knocked in three, but one for five dropped his average from 376 to 374. If he just got one more hit that last game, goes two for five. That he would he would go down as the best batting average year in history of Sky. Really, one, one hit away. And you know what? If he didn't play that last game, he would have tied the best batting average at three seventy six. But man, one hit, one hit would have got him to three seventy seven, and he'd be immortalized forever. To be fair, his batting average, if he did not play in that last game, would have fallen just short of Juan Morales. Right. I'm a three decimal man. Okay. <laughs> four decimals, this finishes third all time behind Eric uh, Menard's 2018. See, uh, it's all about the sig figs. All right. So, so one more hit. What can say with certainty? One more hit against Philadelphia. Five at bats. Just give me two hits, and you're a record holder. But now you're just going to haunt my nightmares, nope, and everyone me. else will forget about you. Second all time. Still? No, that can't be. That can't be right. I'm doing the math. He needed two more hits. Oh, man. With this many at-bats, he needed two more hits. And to be fair, they didn't need to come in the last game of the season against the Phillies. They could have come really at any point during the season. Those two extra hits. Right. Um, This was also a team that made some additions in the offseason. Steve Haas, after two great years in San Francisco, came back to earth an OPS plus of 99. Eddie Dolly missed a couple weeks of the year. He was not his normal self. His OPS fell 40 four points from last season. Uh, Jaden Simon was okay. Uh, the pitching staff was okay. This was just an okay team, I think. If not for Mulholland and Nate Fort finally coming back alive, hitting 40, hitting 40 home runs, uh, uh, OPS of 917, where is this team? Yeah, I keep thinking that because this team has built up so much and had such this great run of success. And again, kudos to Jason and uh, everything. But doesn't it feel like this team could be really bad any day? Yeah. Right? And on that note, they have, uh, I believe they're going to pick up the team option of Nate Fort, which is going to be $26 million. There is a potential uh, Andy. There's an Andy Allen player option uh, for next year. They're on the hook for about 13 million of that. So even if Andy Allen opts out, this Pirates team is on the hook for more than 180 million dollars in salary. That's a lot of money next year. Yeah, it's absurd. It's, it's absurd. Um, pretty nice having the money to work with. I know a lot of guys are probably pissed off at hearing that, but. The, the reason this team is good is because they don't really have any bad players. No, it's, I know you it's, said, it's a lot of good to great players. We haven't even mentioned uh, mid-season acquisition Tony Flores. Yeah, so it Who was it also came down. left off of the playoff roster. Yeah, I don't know how the... I don't know how o- Juan o- Avilar was put on, Ben Conklin was put on, but Tony Flores was not. 
They think he's still in Oakland. I don't know. Yeah, so Pittsburgh went out, traded, made all these stupid trades in the offseason that we've talked about, Allen and McCorkle. But then at the deadline, came back, got Manzo and Flores, and both guys were phenomenal there. And so he probably wouldn't be in the playoffs without making those moves. So you got to commend him for that. Sam Manzo uh, not only was great in general, but he kicked the shit out of the Atlanta Braves twice. Pitched over eight innings both times he faced us in September. That's enough to make the difference. But as far as the roster goes, I think Haas and Dolly are performing about where you expect. I think both have kind of been a little too good lately. But, yeah, like I said earlier, there's, there's not a weak link. You know, they don't have a guy who's just a black hole in the, in the lineup. You know what they the get good production across the board. A stud catcher. They could. They could. I mean, they're a better team with McCorkle and Allen than with Flores and Manzo, I think. I guess looking at this, I'm sort of surprised that their pitching was as bad as it was. Like, what happened to Rolo and Pelton, right? Like The, the 466 starter ERA was eighth in the East. They were saved by a bullpen that ranked first. Um, big part in thanks to Viz Carando. Uh, who had another Viz Carando year. Scott Sears was very, very good in the bullpen, one of the better young relievers uh, in baseball. Josh Burge was fantastic, uh, third straight year of a sub-3-5 ERA in Pittsburgh. Um, and even Eric Power, the uh, the lefty, the, the loogie, went only 22 innings, appeared in 44 games, and only a 1-2-3 uh, ERA. So... Hell, Tristan Havens had a good mm-hmm. year for them. I mean, so, yeah. yeah. He was one of the starters this year. They've had a weird rotation. Pelton missed about half the year. Don't forget they traded for Dantignac. Yeah. He sucked and probably, to his benefit, got hurt. We'd be remiss. And Manza wasn't there yeah. very long. And we'd be remiss if we did not mention rookie Ted, uh, Ted Foley, a pitcher acquired in that McCorkle trade who started 22 games at a sub-4 ERA. Um, yeah, and he really, really pitched good the last two months of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, rough start, but when it counted against his division, I mean, look another at, big reason why they're there. If you go to the splits, just look at what he did in July, August, and September. Yeah, it's remarkable. Um, He's This is one of these mofos who strikes out the world and walks the world. Um, 10 Ks per nine, five walks per nine. I don't know how sustainable that is. It's usually not a recipe for a three seven five ERA, but no, it's not. I and think he's probably FIP, a dev report away, so we'll his, see. His FIP was um, one, a full point higher than his ERA. Yeah, um, which is why he is an R WAR guy and not a WAR guy. But I mean, I I think you're crazy if Monzo doesn't start game one, aren't you? I mean, <laughs> totally. I mean, I mean not. Oh well, I, I would say Pelton, but he's tired so he'll be going game three unless he goes game two on short rest so it looks like monzo game one then rollo maybe rollo game two followed by pelton and foley yeah or if you like like rollo if you want to make rollo the a left hander out of the bullpen well it depends on i mean you 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 got some choices here because you could do a lot of different things with foley rollo cussy right you sort of figure Pelton's going to be there, and as we were mentioning, D. Rich was saying, Monzo has just been incredible. Uh, 
since the trade to Pittsburgh. So I think he's got to be the number one. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's a typical Pittsburgh team. Again, maybe I'm just ornery. I'm sure that's part of it because, you know, I have a hatred of the Infernals. But, uh, but this team could flame out and get swept like they did last year <laughs> and uh, win it all. And I'd be surprised by neither. Who I mean, makes it, really. Who, who gets to face Miami? I think I'm going to take the Pirates. You know, I uh, I would, too. If gun to my head, I would definitely take Pittsburgh. Washington's just still, as I say, due to collapse. And Pittsburgh's the hotter team right now. They were in fourth place going into September and just tore it up. Tore it up. So... I'll, Hard I'll, not to pick the top hand. I'll go against you guys. I'll take the I'll take the feel good story of of Iggy Nacho, which brings us on to the final team here in the Atlantic, the number one offense in the East. Who would have thunk the Miami Marlins? Um, where where to start with this team? Do you start with Nate Riley and his fifty six home runs? Do you start with Keytech Kim and his four fifty three on base percentage? Do you start with Luis Pineda and his 993 OPS, or do you start with Eastern Position Player of the Year candidate Whitney Linfoot? And his 22 home runs. That I'm convinced that's more surprising than the 63 steals. Yeah, totally. This man hit 22 home runs this year. Yeah, that's the most surprising part of it all to me. It's it's crazy. We talked about the Miami Marlins recently. Um, all their key hitters are careering it totally. But I'm the least surprised by them in comparison to Washington because yep. it's a solid core. You know, the pitching is is good, and it has been reliable for a long time. And believe it or not, the pitching is the weakness of this team. Yep. I mean, the offense has just been that good to where it's it's hard to bet against them. I don't know what they do after Ramon Vega. I mean, I'm sure that it's Kozak next, you know, but, but what do you do after that? Do you trust Kaysan Green? You sort of have to. I mean, Kaysan Green had a career year. He's been good. He wasn't he was decently good. Um, yeah. It got it got a lot of these guys injured. Jorge Cabrera should be back um, for the should be nice and healthy. Um, but none of these guys that are injured are, are going to be able to come back. That includes Chris Ortega uh, and Jeremy Betty's. So the bullpen may end up being the weak link of this team, just like it was all year. Uh, number 10 bullpen area in the in uh, the East. They did have Osamu Nakayama, who led the East in saves with 45, um, but he wasn't exactly the best. You do have uh, Sadakazu Morikawa, who has a Skyline Cup championship ring to his name. You have Tyler Arvizu, the free agent pickup, who was an all-star this year. So there are some question marks. There are some guys you trust. Um, but it's going to come down to the hitting, and I don't think anyone can stop this lineup right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, if they hit, they win it all. Uh, will they hit? I mean, anybody can run into pitchers that shut them down. I mean, if you shut them down, you're going to win because, as you mentioned, their pitching's not the best. And even if their starters get it done, Boy, oh boy, feels like a lot of blown saves happen in Skyline playoffs. And this is a team that looks ripe for the picking. I think my favorite stat this year is that Nate Riley's slugging is nearly 370 points higher than his on-base percentage. Jeez. I'm actually, I'm really disappointed. He, uh, I think, went over in the last sim on home runs. He did. 
could have hit could have hit three or three to tie the record, I believe, and two to tie the record. Is it fifty eight? It was two to tie the record. Man, would have been awesome to do, but what can you say? Yeah, Nate Riley. It's like the worst fifty-six home run season on record. But it's fifty-six home runs and had two WAR. I think Man, what a career year for him. Alicia's year last year was even worse. Alicia last year had only one point six WAR and hit fifty-six home runs. Yep. The thing is, both guys kind of work for their team. You know, he's got the best on base, not by Pat Newell in history. Tech Kim gave you four fifty. That's never really been done. So when with the bases juiced, why not have Riley? He's got 150 ribbies for a reason. That's the one of the biggest numbers we've ever seen. And uh, even bigger number, the 228 strikeouts. Yeah, you, you know what you're Yikes. getting out of that guy. And and the thing about his lineup construction is that if Riley strikes out, which he's prone to do, you have Luis Pineda right behind him. The lineup I'm not construction sure. works. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think that there's necessarily a problem with the lineup. I just can't get behind fawning all over this Nate Riley year. I'm sorry. I can't make myself do it. Um, I'm not even sure that I agree that these years are more surprising than the Nationals' years. I think that we just know that these players are better. I think, I think right? like, the, these players are it's better. The gaudiness of the numbers. Right, exactly. Because you, you have these, the Washington guys who are good. You have these Miami right. players that were fucking amazing. Right. And, I mean, it, I, I mean it, it's, it's never ending. I mean, if this, again, we don't need to talk about them any longer because if this team hits, they, they are unstoppable. Yeah, if you think they're going to come back to earth, then they could probably lose. But if you think they're going to keep it going... Then they're going to cruise to the Atlantic at this rate. <laughs> Who makes it out of the Atlantic? I think I'm taking Miami. I think you could feel really good about that top three in their rotation. Do you really? Okay. Yeah, I, I trust all three of those guys. Kozak and even Kaysen Green. When you get to Armijo, I don't know if I'd want to start that guy in the playoffs. Well, but that's game four. Yeah. I, mean, everybody... I would not want to start a righty side armor against a Nationals or a Pirates team that both have very good lefties in the lineup. Yeah, I I probably go Chris Rear if I'm being honest. Well, he got another righty side armor. His name is Vega, so they got to be careful. Vega and Armijo are two very different pitchers. I agree, but I mean, again, you said righty side armor. I yeah. didn't know which one you meant. So <laughs> Armijo is like a roogie, though. I mean, that guy right. can't get lefties out to save his life. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you're probably right that I'm. Shitting on Case on Green too much. Had a pretty good year, you know. Certainly his career year, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think yeah. I'm going to take. I think I'm going to take Pittsburgh and vomit a little. I mean, coming out of the Atlantic. I'll take Miami coming out of the Atlantic. Uh, with that, let's go on to the other Northern Division. Uh, the two non-playoff teams to talk about here: Boston and Toronto. Boston sort of came out of nowhere this year. Um, they choked down the stretch. Um, they ended up going, uh, where is it? They ended up going 10 and 16 in September, um, and missed out on the playoffs by, I believe, seven games, if I'm seeing that correctly. Six games. Six games? Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the difference right there, uh, losing Johan Dunhurt. Uh, yep. but, but the stretch there at the beginning of September where they ended up going, uh, two and 10 
in in the first game in the first 12 games of September, including four losses to the Indians and three losses to the Mets. That's where they lost their season, right there. Yeah, losing Dunn was just such a blow. Uh, this team could score at all. Like we were 15th in the East in runs scored, and doesn't look like it was unlucky at all. Just not a shred of offense in that lineup. Um, but the pitching was lights out. I think the another injury we're not talking about is T.J. Schaefer. Really hurt. Given the reins to Jemerson instead of Schaefer was night and day. And for a team that doesn't score runs when you're playing a lot of close games, having a lockdown guy in the pen has made all the difference. Um, Schaefer is just a, is just a walking blister. He's a walking fin- finger blister, which is so disappointing. Because he's someone that if you were able to throw him in the starting rotation, he'd be a, a top 15 starter in the league. Yeah, I would say definitely. But with the finger blister, you don't know if he's going to be able to go more than two innings. You really don't. I don't know. I think that David's probably really disappointed, and I understand why. Um, but this team's really not in a terrible place. Um, this is not the equivalent of the Reds in the Atlantic. It's just not. Um, I think he's got a lot to be proud of. Um, I think he's going to get some GM of the year votes. Now he's not going to win, but I was looking earlier. He did a really good job. You know, this team's a lot better than they were last year. Played a lot better. And, uh, yeah, we, we shit on him a lot for that soft rebuild that he did a few years ago when he was in first place. Well, and rightfully so it was stupid, but of course, but he's, this is the first year where we're seeing like, okay, we're finally reaping the benefits. Chris McCauley and Jared Turner and TJ Schaefer, these young pitchers, all look like they belong. Uh, and that's the reason why it's such a good pitching staff this year, was these young guys who went out and got. Just needs a couple more pieces in the middle of the lineup, and this team's in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Johan Dunn also not only got hurt, but man, he came back and sucked. It looked for a while there like he could hit 400. Uh, it's disappointing to see him. It's so amazing. It's amazing. That man had five war and played 116 games pretty remarkable he also if you look at his uh, month by month stats i told you he collapsed down the stretch he hit 229 in september to lower the average from 399 all the way down to 350 so man one more solid month and he i would think certainly would have that all-time record that mulholland was so close to Something else um, worth noting is that this is not a team that will be losing much talent in the uh, in the offseason. Uh, they have two big names uh, headed for free agency. That is Johnny Jemerson, who is currently only asking for four million per year. So if he doesn't, uh, I don't, I don't care what how bad Jemerson was down the stretch. Four million per year—that's a freaking steal. Yeah, Jemerson, he's not quite as old as I thought. I thought that he was, you know, like 40. He's only 34, 35. So, yeah, he was really right. young when he had the reins in Miami. Really young. He turns yeah. 35 in November, but regardless, $4 million a year? For the, the, yeah, that's, that's what he's asking that's for right not real. That's re- not real bad. No, no I'd resign no, to that in right. a heartbeat. But I think what you're he's right. going to have to do that is going to suck is that he's going to have to let Menard walk. He's gonna yeah, he's, Menard's kind of been the face of the team. But he's uh, he's just been awful for three years in a row. Yeah, I mean it's it's gone. I mean it happens to everybody. The the beat is gone. I mean he was great for two years. 
I think maybe we sort of oversold Eric Menard a little. He had one really great year. It was okay the year after that. This is 2008, 2009. And then since then, it's been sort of meh. Yeah, he's know. just such a fun player. And I love that Boston had him and Dunn, guys who can't walk, can't strike out. I liked when he was drafting guys in that mold. Looks like he's gone away from it a little bit. He took a a kid who actually draws a ton of walks in the draft. But it was fun while it lasted. I think Boston's going to keep changing. But I, you got to feel good about it. Man, the pitching's for real. Uh, as of now, Boston has three players on the ledger next year for $10 million plus. Those three players are Face the Franchise Ken Golar, Josh Spellman, and Mike George, who is just bad. Mike George is bad. Yeah, he's he's not shied away from guys with injury history. Um, George and Spellman both are... He better hope George opts out, which he's not going to do. Yeah, it's all right. It's $10 million and then both him and Spellman are off the books next year. Ken Golar's a guy that's weird, too. Uh, another interesting re-signing is uh, Adam Crespin, signed in April, two more years, 9.9 signed him after acquiring him. Yep. Just interesting. Uh, yeah, I, mean, we're there. Yeah. I don't hate it. Uh, Crespin wasn't anything special this year. It's just it's weird his defense started taking a step back. You know, he's probably not going to be a great shortstop even as early as next season. He's down to 65 range. Yeah, you might want to see. You might see this uh, this whole infield shuffled around. I wouldn't be surprised if you if Cressman's playing third base next year and he tries to find someone else to play short. We'll see. Uh, let's go to the other North team that missed the playoffs, the uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, this is another team that's just built for the future. They they traded Manzo. Um, they have a couple guys uh, still on the ledger next year that are going to make big bucks. Um, among those, one of the uh, the Amin special. So y'all y'all crap on me for the uh, for the team friendly deals. Look at this contract for Travis uh, Doherty, fourteen million next year, and then over the f- last three years of the deal, a total of eleven and a half million. Wow, I'm surprised. Uh, that's Daughtry, by the way, but I'm surprised that they agreed to that. Usually, it's when you go that front loaded, it, either the owner or the player or even the game just says not allowed. Oh, that's neat. I like them. There's nothing wrong with that. This is another one of these guys that he has, and I'm convinced it's because he collects draft picks and he drafts well. And he just ends up with these guys. And they're everywhere. And they're the all pretty types? Good. Yeah. Who are pretty good, but... Right. They're not, not great, but they're yeah. good. I'd also like just, to note that the best player that no one talks about, Rafael Pisano, had another career year. Set a career high in OPS, home runs, RBI, and WAR, and no one's going to talk about him because he plays the same position in the same region as Silky Flores. Yeah, sorry, bud, you're not on that tier. You're really good. He's really good. Yeah, man. He's got all these outfielders. He's got all these outfielders like Daltrey, Chalmers, and even Pisano. Guys who can't really play on defense and can't really hit uh, lefty pitching. I've said it before, but Amin just needs to keep making trades. Needs to keep, you know, he's got all his talent in one place, like you said. Daughtry just gets these guys. I think he needs to shake it up because he needs someone who can play defense in the outfield, someone who could hit lefty pitching. A lot of these, uh, I don't know. It, it depends a little bit on what you think about outfield defense. Like Chalmers this year was minus 3.8. That's not awful. 
You even, Doc, even Daughtry this year. I mean, he played played almost every day. Oh, no, he didn't. He probably sat against lefties. Yeah. The thing is about those guys is Daughtry's playing DH, which forces Castillo to then play first base, where he is really bad defensively. Just say, He just has one too many lefty bats who doesn't really have a surefire position. And Chalmers can hit lefty pitching, so maybe he's a bad example. But he's got to move Daughtry. Or move one of these guys. Yeah, I think that this this team is uh, not all that far away. I mean, I agree. I think this team is pretty good. Yeah, we've said that the last few years. We're t- now we're talking about them like they're a rebuilding team. Uh, Daryl, they Julian. won ninety games recently. Daryl Julian, they've been in the be playoffs every closer. He already is. Oh, I'm obsessed with this man. How is he not a stud closer already? He looks really freaking good. I mean, that's, he's on that's my ballot fair, for reliever of the year. That's a fair statement. What's weird, okay, so Toronto, this is the first year they've missed the playoffs in three years. Um, they missed by three games. Traded Sam Manzo at the deadline, who in turn, we, as we mentioned earlier, pitched amazing in Pittsburgh. And what Toronto did was they called up this guy, Travis Arford, who they got earlier in the year in the Armijo deal with Miami. Arford got thrown in the rotation, and if you look at what he did, he pitched fucking awful for you yeah. for four stars. Arford's a reliever. Arford is 100% a reliever. Well, you need to tell him mean that because if you give those four starts to Manzo, there's a really good chance that Toronto's playing baseball in October and the Mets are watching. Right? Yeah. When was this trade with Miami? What was the, Oh, that was the Rodinson trade. Yeah, really weird trade. For two couple. Armijos and everything, and yeah, yeah, he got a top spec and Robinson and their draft picks. It's kind of hard to figure out who was giving up more. It's weird. I sort of like this Arford kid, but I agree with Jake that he's a reliever. He might be. Um, we'll see. You know, he's he was rated so high on the top prospect list. You he's, almost he's think he's that currently the number that cutter's going to get better. He's currently the number nineteen prospect in baseball. I don't see if it. the cutter gets to sixty, yeah. then no, probably change change it it's close. He, it's not. He, he just turned 25. It's not going to get there. Yeah, we'll see. He's got a lot of these guys. He's got Arford, York, and Reese, who are all top prospects. Never shown a damn thing. And he opted to keep those guys instead of Manzo. So that's a big investment. And it's an investment that I think really fucked you over this season. Because if this team has Manzo, I think they're a playoff team. I really do. Three games, not a lot. When you give up an ace and you have to start Zermino. And Arford, all these scrubs, it just, it hurts. All right, well, on to the actual playoff teams. Let's start with the Mets. The Mets are who we thought they were. A team that can't hit is going to rely on their starting rotation. That's about what they are. They're going to rely on Pons. Downey, who had an absolutely fantastic year, and that was needed uh, considering that Pons went down. Mike Showers is, at this point, average. Carl Bedway is good pitcher um but basinger didn't have a normal basinger he was still downright fantastic joe basinger so what are you talking about basinger was so good he's so good yeah he's I don't the best know ever it. yeah it's because era wasn't sub two this year i would vote basinger on for cy young he'd be in my top five uh, if, and he, and if he it was allowed four earned in his last outing of the year yeah killed him but I still love this Mets team. It's it's really hard for me to pick 
any team but the Mets in the playoffs. Just having two or three starters who are lights out, guaranteed, and basing her who can pitch two or three innings. You don't need very much. He can do that on back-to-back nights, too. Yeah, he's he's perfect. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick the Mets pretty damn far in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is what the Mets do. They make the playoffs. And once they're in, good luck getting them out. Yeah. There's this is what the Mets do. Giants-like, really. And uh, we had a uh, little slack conversation about this because Cleveland's eliminated the Mets once, and the Pirates have eliminated the Mets twice, and Montreal has eliminated the Mets twice, and I think Amin eliminated the Mets once. And the other three times the Mets made the playoffs, nobody eliminated them. They won it all. And that's the story of the Mets. They're, yeah, like they're, the most boring, they're the most boring team in Sky. Right. And yet, they're really freaking good. Yeah. Shows how valuable someone like Pons is. You get a... <laughs> that's all you need. Just Pons and Basinger alone, and you're, you're terrifying the playoffs. But I don't even know if there's a player worth talking about other than those guys. No one had an interesting year. Juan Guerrero was down. Yeah. yeah. Pretty boring. Pretty boring. They struggled when Pons was out for a while, and it looked like they weren't going to make it. But, boom, he came back, pitched great, and if Pons was healthy all year, he would have won the Cy Young again. And they probably win that extra seven games. Maybe not yeah. that. But they, they're, you know. Probably. Fuck. Maybe. Twelve more starts, they might win seven more. Yeah. This isn't a lineup that that scares me. They have nope. Pellot, Guerrero, Castellano. I mean, there's not a lot in this lineup at all. And there's a reason that this team finished 13th in batting average, 14th in on-base percentage, and 11th in OPS, and 12th in WOBA. It, it just isn't a good hitting. It just isn't a good offensive team. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder sometimes, because Brandon's not a real active, crazy talker sort of guy. But I wonder if this is by accident or design. Like, is he trying to do this? Or did it just sort of happen? I think it sort of happened, because he just kind of fell into pawns. Right. Um, and this team was always had a better a better offense than the last couple of years. Right. Back with Kasahara. You know, it was a little potent, but it's always been home run heavy and pitching heavy. And that's what they did this year. They, they didn't hit for average. They didn't even score runs, but you hit a home run or two a game, and that is probably enough in a lot of cases, depending on who's on the hill. The thing is, they're really lefty-heavy, so they could have problems against the wrong, the wrong team. Do you know the thing what is, team that is not? The Indians. And the Expos, man. Yeah, it's not the Expos either. If you look at the Indians' rotation, five righties, two lefties in the bullpen, neither one of whom had a good year. Yeah, they're going to have a field day. This is set There's up n- for a very good Mets series. Yeah, I'd, I'd it, be very confident. It's going to be power on power. It's going to be these these two these two Mets righties, Downey and Pons, going up against seven Indians righties, and these Indians righty pitchers going up against um, five six lefties in the in the Mets lineup. Yeah, I mean, the Indians can score, so we got to be a little careful. Let's not write them off. No, right? they, can, they definitely can. Third and run scored, second and on base percentage, third so, and Woba. So I think that I think that 
you're you're right. I mean, I think that this is one of those cases where like both teams have a really good right hand, right? Like not to turn it into boxing, but they've got they they know the strength. The strength of the Yank or the strength of the Mets is the pitching. Strength of the Indians is the offense. Whichever team does the other thing better is going to win the series. If the Indians pitchers can keep the Mets down, which I'm not sure they can, but then I think the Indians win this series. Um, I'll never. But, I will never bet against Ponds. I can't. Can I just say one last time the name Yoshihide Mori and how sad that is? Mm-hmm. Would he not be like the ultimate weapon against this team? It'd be I mean, a big difference. Oh my God! You imagine if you could set him up to maybe pitch twice against yeah. the Mets if it went five. Like that would be just lethal. Right? Yeah, I mean so. This team is, I think you're underselling their pitching. The rotation is rock solid. Um, the fifth starter's been a bit of a question mark since Maury went out, but all in all, rotation's really good, but you're right, they're kind of just missing an ace. Like, if they had a top five, top ten pitcher who could pitch twice, you'd, you'd be a lot more scared, because Jeff Craig's good, but I'm not nervous about playing him. And Mike Hughes big- is good, but... Mike Hughes, the righty side armor, going into New York. A big Not thing afraid of with, uh, with what the Mets did here is that they structured the rotation that Pons is on full rest and Downey's on full rest. Pons has not pitched in a week. Downey has not pitched in a week. Both are going to be full go for this series against Cleveland. You're going to have to face Pons twice. Veteran move. Have, and you're going to have to beat Pons twice. Yeah, that's a veteran move. Iggy Nacho learned from Brandon. This is a, this is smart thinking. Um I think there's a chance that John Millett actually joins the rotation here, too. Just because Cleveland's so righty-heavy, it wouldn't shock me if he uh, opted to throw another righty over John Showers Millett or Rivera. so bad. Yeah, it's a shame. I uh, really like the guy. And he you know, he was so needed for the Mets when Pons was out. And part of the reason why they struggled was Millett joined the rotation and just couldn't get out. I don't know that I'd do that, but... it. it it sort of looks like a series to me that the Mets, with the way the rotations lined up and everything like that, you have to give them the edge in games one and two. But then, who do the Mets pitch in games three and four? I and don't think can, it matters. I think and that can I, the Indians and can the Indians hit those guys? I think right? you go Bedway game three, Shepard's yeah, you've... game four, and then back to Pons game five. I think that Pond you I. I think you can guarantee one of two from both Pons and Downey. You can guarantee one of two from both Bedouin and Chowers. This has a five-game series written all over it. Right. And Man, I, I think you guys are underselling Bedway. He was I, rock when solid I, when this I'm year. I'm guaranteeing one of two between Bedway and Showers. I'm more leaning that I like Bedway and I don't like Showers. Oh, I just I, it, I wouldn't be surprised if they swept him. Man, you got to go face Pons and Downey right out of the gate. And then face Bedway. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not. Um, but if you can steal one of two from those first two guys. Yeah, that's what has to happen. Yeah, and they're playing in Cleveland first. Right. So that's that's an advantage, but Pons Downey's still terrifying, even at home. Then Bedway pitching in City Field. I'm not I'm not feeling great if I'm who, down 0-2. Who, win, who wins the series? I'm taking New York. I'm going to take the Mets. I'm taking um, the Mets. Sorry, I Grayson. Think that, I think that uh most important guy in this series is Jeff Craig. I'm not going to call him the X Factor, but he's the he's the X Factor. He, he needs the, to be Pons, right? Maybe exactly, twice. exactly. Yep. 
He's got a pitch with Pons. Give him a chance. Here's the thing. Jeff Craig is not on full rest. Mikey oh, yeah, is he, not on full rest. He, he's not going to start game Jorge one. Jorge Herrera game one. Ugh. Don't love that. Don't love that at all. Is he, well, it's either him or Andy Steiger. And does he give James Kirk a shot in the rotation in the playoffs? I mean, James Kirk would, would only be able to go game two because he's yeah. also not fully healthy. Um, Jeff it's Craig won't be able to go until game three unless they want to throw him on short rest. I don't know what his plan is. It's... I like the Indians a lot. I just, I think they're missing an all that star player. They're they're kind of a one pitcher away, one hitter away. You know who that being really is? terrifying. Could Yoshihide be Mori. It's Yoshihide Mori. At least okay, the way he pitched this year. Uh, you know. Let's go on to the other North playoff team, the Montreal Expos. They have won their third straight um, Northern title, third straight year with a bye. Uh, Jesse McMichael is the heart and soul of this team. Seven war, second in the East. Bobby Hicks led the East in pitching war. How does that make you feel, Trent? I hate Bobby Hicks. Thank you for playing. Uh, Matt Gary yeah. was fantastic coming over from Kansas City. Kurt Mears at a 3.84 ERA. He also led the East in BABIP, a 2.53 BABIP. Uh, Jeffrey Angett was the finesse flyball guy that Jangles loves. That This is probably his, his four, um, unless I'm missing someone here that they left off the playoff roster, uh, which I'm not seeing. It's, is Saban healthy? Uh, Ralph Saban is healthy. Interesting. It's another guy they could throw. It is another guy. Uh, or maybe they threw Kabi Shulperord, um, who did not give up a – who has not given up a home run since August 25th. In September, he has not given up a home run. He also has not he started, made it a whole month. He also has not started a game um, since he Gosh, gave up his right. last home run. So that's been coming out of the bullpen. So he's got a, he's got a strong bullpen. He's got Akbar there at the back end. He's got Wilkinson, who is okay coming back from uh, Cincinnati. Omar DeLeon, who is decent coming over from Seattle. Um, but this is a team that that's, is mainly a... It just doesn't have a hole. It, it's, it's, it, I don't think the pitching's that good, man. It's, it's just, not. They were their defense 11th, carries their ass. They were 11th in fit, but first in defense's efficiency, first in zone rating. And first in runs against with 11th fit. That's, that's unbelievable. You know, whether it's good luck or good defense, obviously it's good defense, but... Um, I mean, that's so, so absurd. It's amazing, but you've got a second baseman in Joe Oldroyd, who is plus 12 at second base and hit 320. And then you have a shortstop in Matt Angel, who's plus 16 in the field and bat 305. Yeah, I mean, the defense isn't an accident. Not saying that. No. But, uh, um, and you've still got Nate Purdue at third base, but that contract is going to age very, very poorly. Juan Castillo had a resurrection at first base. He was worth five war this year. This is a quality team. Again, outside of the what I think is potentially fluky pitching numbers only because of the defense, I don't see a hole. Yeah, see, I think we have to be a little careful. First of all, credit to Jangles. This team has beaten the Mets in both of the last two playoffs, and now he's got his third straight division title. So this is really, really well done. Um I think, what's wrong with Akbar? What's wrong with Akbar? It's just normal. He doesn't seem like his normal self. Yeah, I think he was uh, a little up. fluky the last year, too. He, he gave up 10 home runs this year. He gave up 12 the, the two years prior. 
Okay. This looks more in line like what I would expect with him. Blocks were up, uh, strikeouts yes. were down, home runs were up this year. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it's fair to suggest that this pitching is only because of the defense is a bad thing, right? Like, I think that was by design. Like, Jengles did this on purpose, right? He loves these great defensive guys, and he's right. He's really worked in OOTP20, right? Where I really think, we talked about this a couple years ago, that, that that's where I think it's really changed. And 20 penalizes you for having bad defense more than 19 did. Um but, and it also rewards you on the flip side. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I think this team looks really good. Um, they also don't have a lefty to throw at the Mets lefties. Uh, they have um, Ingot, and that's it. Yep. Pull a bunch of guys in the They got Ingot. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think they, this, I mean, this team feels a little much. bit different than past Jangles teams, though. I just you don't think so. feel like I, I feel like it's not as good. I don't know why, but uh, I, th- I think if anything, it's better. It just it feels so similar. The biggest difference was having Cadillo healthy for the first time in what feels like well, it's got to be three or four seasons that he's been truly healthy. It's it's just it's hard to we look at this team kind of like we look at the Astros. Um, even us, the people who are preaching defense, I think we still undersell it a bit because that's why the team's good. The offense isn't super terrifying. It's it's rock solid, but it's it's all about the defense here. And so the pitching I, I, isn't super terrifying. It's the defense that makes it so. And yeah, so, exactly. It's a, it's a really solid team. Um, Jangles is probably going to say we're shitting on them. They won 96 games. They're rock solid. They just... I don't think they're ever going to feel like, oh shit, it's the Expos. Like, I'm, t- I'm terrified of this team. They're, I, they don't, just don't feel like a, you know, a favorite, I guess. Also, Jess McMichael, quietly over the last three years, has averaged 5.76 war per year. He's, he's, uh, is three, he's played in every single possible game in the majors possible and has gotten better every year. Yeah, that's he, all you can hope for. He's really freaking good. What a like, great draft pick that was. He's really freaking good. Who makes it out of the North? I'm going to take New York. I don't know why. Um, I just I still trust the New York pitching over. I think they match up kind of good. Okay, I guess what I'm saying. So New York's offense struggles. We, we know that. But when they do have offense, it's through the home run. And that's the ball that... Jangles' defense can't get to. So I think that's uh, the matchup-wise, it works out pretty well for him. I think I'm going to take the Mets. And let's make that three. Sorry, Jangles. Yeah, yeah gosh, you knew that was coming. We can be wrong again. The Mets are going mean, to get swept in round one. That's yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. I, um, I do think I would take Montreal over Cleveland if it's the case. I just I like the way the Mets match up. So Cleveland's not going to make it out of the North. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we're shitting on Grayson, not Jangles. There okay. you go. Um, well, before we move on to the West, let's talk East Awards. All right. It's a, uh, it's a three-man race for position player of the year between Silky, McMichael, Linfoot. Mulholland had a great year, but I think we can all agree that he's number four. 
how the hell do you separate Silky McMichael and Linfoot besides making a dartboard, just throwing a dart at it? So I think the first thing is uh, you look at Silky and you say, okay, this is by far the best player in the East, no doubt. Um, when he was on the field, he was the best. His war is basically identical to the other two guys, but he missed 40 games. That's a big number, but when he's on the field, he was that good. So if you want to vote Silky, as I think you should, because he was that dominant, um, you vote him first. If not, you probably vote him third, because Linfoot and McMichael, so similar players, kind of feels like a, a coin flip in that regard. Now, I do think we're underselling part of the Silky case is that this is not just a great offensive year. It's not just better than McMichael and Linfoot. It's one of the best offensive seasons in the history of Sky. I mean, it's right up there with anything Trujillo's done. It's it's pretty remarkable. Or it's I should say it's uh, kind of in line with that Joe Souders amazing season. Trent? Uh, I think I'm going to vote for Jesse McMichael. He's really tough. Uh, when guys are separated by this little war, then you just can't use war anymore. you got to go to other things. And as we were talking about on the recent pod, I go to WOBA, and I go to uh, WRC+. And in both of them, uh, McMichael's better than Linfoot. And so I went McMichael, Linfoot, Silky uh, because of the games played. Um, I uh, agree with everything Diedrich said with the possible exception of comparing Silky to Trujillo. And he was better this season. And then, uh, and then after that, I don't know what I'll do. I haven't really gotten that far. I'm looking at these for the first time on the pod. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares who finishes fourth and fifth in the West and, you know, they're in the East and position player of the year. Yeah. So, you can pick two out of about 10 guys. It doesn't right. matter. So I think I'm, I'm surprised with- though. You like McMichael over Linfoot. I'm surprised. I am with Trent on that. I also like McMichael over Linfoot. Um, the th- the thing that boosts Linfoot is the base running. He had six or three stolen bases, was only caught nine times. McMichael was caught one more time in nearly half the attempts. So that's where a lot of Linfoot's value come from is that base running. But you look at zone rating, McMichael was better. You look at Wobin WRC plus, McMichael was better. They played the same amount of games. I for as good as Linfoot was on the bases, I. I would take McMichael's bat and glove over Linfoot's speed. All right, so the the defense is basically a wash. Um, McMichael was better, but not by any amount that is relevant to winning I mean, baseball no, games. The difference between five point eight and four point five. It's yeah. Making Give me a break. Five it's or six just... plays across the course of a year that the right. other didn't. Yeah. Um, but I think the Woba difference is more discernible, and it was so is the OPS. Uh, OPS of fifty points higher. Woba 12 points higher, WRC plus of 8 points higher. He was much better with the bat. Yeah, um, that's the stuff that doesn't take into account base running. And I think you guys are still underselling how I, I, incredible 60 steals is. Whitney Linfoot, so was, this, this was potentially the best base running season we've ever seen in Sky history. I, I'm not going to discount totally. that. I don't value that as much as I do um, McMichael's bat. And I think that's where the so, disconnect is between you and me. You're looking at Woba, you're looking at WRC+. Plus. McMichael is considerably higher. The one stat that really takes into account base running, and Linfoot has higher war than McMichael. 
So it's it's hard for me to hear you, you know, make a point about a zone rating that's one point two higher over yeah. one hundred fifty six games when when you put it all together, Linfoot's higher. And yeah, I know I, I value it's base not, running more. It's also but. not like Linfoot is all that higher. He's he's got point one. That again, that's the difference between uh, a caught stealing or not. I honestly think that's what that difference is. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, um, I'm fine with either point. Uh, just I, I still think you guys undersell. The base running. And I very well could be, but I, I I still go McMichael one, Linfoot two, Silky three, and then Holland done. But that could also be Pineda, Pisano, and I wouldn't blink an eye. Or right. Kintac, yeah. Kim, or Franklin Manriquez. Yeah, four and five is... Who cares? I, I think the it's fun is because we're talking about a guy who played 115 games versus a guy who played 100, 117 versus 156. And, man, when Silky was on the field, this is... The numbers are historically top five all-time best offensive seasons. But what about those Just, 40 games where he wasn't? Yeah, then that, that certainly hurts you. But Hey, do the Braves make the playoffs? He plays those 40 games? Bet they do. Oh, oh totally. No doubt. I mean, it's... I, I just 40, think... Those 40 games matter. Yeah, they do. They do. But without him, how many games do they win? I don't know. I, I think he's still, in those 117 games, more valuable than what Linfoot or McMichael gave to their respective teams. Just the numbers are off the charts good. And he was the better defender. Granted, he's in right field, but there wasn't a weakness to this season. It's uh, one of the best we've ever seen, even from a counting stats point of view. He hit 100, got to 100 ribbies, 38 bombs in just 117 games. All right. Well, let's move on to Eastern Region Pitcher of the Year. I don't know if my first place vote is who everyone else has. Um, let's start with uh, Trent. Let's start with you here for Eastern Region Pitcher of the Year. Yeah, I mean, in my my mind, it comes down to two guys. Um, it's either Hicks or Juan Flores, um, and Hicks has the slight edge in WAR, um, and uh, doesn't strike out as many guys, doesn't walk as many guys, a uh, few less innings pitched, a little bit different ERA. I don't know. Probably <laughs> this one's vote, hard. Probably going to vote for Juan Flores because I hate Bobby Hicks, which is really, you know, pretty terrible of me. And Jangles has every right to pick on me for it, and I don't have an excuse. But it's pretty close. Yeah, this one's really hard. Uh, I don't know what to do. I sort of wish that one of these really good relievers I could feel like was worth voting for and was allowed to vote for because – D. Rich might not be wrong that it might be the year for that, but I don't know. 156 innings is required to qualify for pitcher of the year. Yep. Yes, so you need to be a starter. Um, weird considering in the major leagues we've seen guys win the, win the award with less, but uh, we don't do things that way. I just I'm, I think maybe Basinger has a case, or even like if Steve Vines was in the East, he'd have a case. Clegg would have had a case if he had a September that mattered. Out of just the starters, um, I actually have Hicks and Flores as number four and number five on my ballot. Um, I think you're being a little bit of a war slut, Trent. You're just sorting by those top two guys, and you're underselling the, the three monsters who had the better ERA, had the better R-War, and the, just all in all what I think the better season. So for me, it was between Ramon Vega and Caben. Um 
And even Johnny Downey's in that mix, too. So I was between those three guys. I ended up leaning Caden. Uh, something about getting 20 wins is pretty remarkable. And it sucks that he had a bad last outing. But he gave you 200 innings on a team that needed his production. He pitched more innings and, than Bobby Hicks. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't have the best defense in the history of the league behind him, which helps Hicks a lot. Uh, Hicks, the FIP, is uh, is good, so it's not a total defense thing, but it got to matter a little bit. I just, I got to go with uh, Vegar Cabin. Lower ERAs, more wins. They just all, all were more productive in my eyes. Do you know who Boy, led, all of this is real close. Do you know who led the league, the led the East in our war? Gosh, I, uh, I I'm know. not sure. Juan Flores. I think it might be. Is this yeah. pitchers? Yes, East East okay. our war. Juan Flores at six okay. six, then Vegas six five, Hicks and Cabin at six three, Downey at six one. Those are the five that are on my ballots, not in that exact order. I also went Flores. He was second in war, um, but first in R war. Had the lower ERA than Hicks. Did have the higher um, FIP, but just like always, struck out the world. He was the only person. He was the only qualified um, pitcher in the East to strike out more than ten per nine. I, I understand that Hicks didn't even strike out one per per nine and had a K to walk ratio of nearly nine point six. But I like the Wolf of First Street. Um, I, I can understand voting for Hicks. I can understand voting for Vega. I can understand voting for Cave, and I can understand voting for Downey. It wouldn't surprise me if any any one of these five won it. Um, but I, I'm going Flores, Hicks, Vega. I think what's one of the things that's interesting to me is I think those need to be the five. Oh yeah, I think I'm no not doubt. really. I think there really is a top five, right? And that's sort of interesting. It's just the order you put them in. Right now, I have Downey third. Vega fourth, Cabin fifth. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm still playing with it. Might change it. Yeah, uh, it's it's really really close. Um, I just lean ERA. I lean wins. I like innings pitched here. Flores is probably uh, certainly the most talented pitcher of this bunch. Johnny Downey, perhaps, but I like seeing that ERA nice and low. I do like the lower ERA. And they're all, they're all pretty. Downey. They're all pretty interchangeable too. Downey's one knock is he didn't pitch all year. He got hurt and it cost him about 40 innings or something like that. So Eileen Cabin, part of the reason why is because he got to that arbitrary 20-win mark. And he did it on the Washington Nationals. I want to reward this team as much as I can. And it looks like a guy who deserves it. All right, let's go on to Eastern Pitcher or uh, Eastern Rookie of the Year. Uh, Let's not spend too much time on this because we've been trying to figure out what the qualification is for rookie I don't know. I, I don't think anyone knows. Um, I think we all know what the major leagues does, but Stats Plus has its own fucking no. mind. Uh, I went Curio, Jeff Craig, uh, one, two, and most league did as well. Javier Castillo, I did not have on my ballot, but a lot of people have. Um, but where are you guys looking? Uh, my top two is just like you. It's just two Indians. I had them reverse. Um, I gave the edge to Jeff Craig. Kind of had a, a rough September, but was essentially an ace for a team that was in the playoff hunt all year. I mean, I thought he pitched great. And I don't think pitchers get enough love for this award. I, uh, 
I think I will probably lean towards Carrillo. Um, although it's it, it it it's tough for me because Blake Spence, not all that far behind him, had a little bit of a better hitting season. Um, and uh, Javier Castillo, although I can't get behind the really bad defense. Uh, had the best hitting season of all rookies, unless I'm missing one. Uh, John Rory might be on some ballots. He had a really good hitting season. Um, try not to be a war slut. Um, and uh, and Jeff Craig is the only pitcher that should make ballots. Um, but uh, he should be pretty high up there. I think I'll probably vote for Carrillo. Not really dancing at you know a WRC plus of 112 being rookie of the year. But with Craig, it's, you know, a FIP of 420, you know, so nice. one of those two should probably win the award. So in any event. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The other guy I was going to mention, uh, just because I think he was the front runner until September, was Colin Forner mm-hmm. in Baltimore. I believe he, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure it's right, that he has the all-time highest zone rating in right field that we've ever had. So he has four war. I think he might be first or second in strictly by war on this list, and it's all defense-driven. Now, I think if he was playing center field, I'd probably give this guy my vote. But playing right field just takes a little bit of the value away to me. Anyway, just wanted to throw his name out there. He was my uh, preseason prediction. This is the second most ever. Down. Ryan Morris in 1983 had a higher zone rating in right field. Like That's remarkable. Colin Forner had a 29.4 zone rating in right field this year. Uh, only bested by Ryan Morris in 1983. Ryan Morris that year uh, led the West with 10.8 war, also led the West in batting average and on-base percentage. Yes. The more you know. I, if you're that good on defense, don't play right field. Get that guy in center. I don't know I don't know if I'm going to put this guy on my ballot. He really probably deserves to be on there, I mean, just from defense alone. But, it wasn't uh, bad with the bat. He hit 20 no. homers and hit 260. Yeah, he was all right. So, got on base, pretty good clip. It's not a bad little player. Who's your yeah, rel- four wars, really good. Who's your reliever of the year? Man, yeah, it's it's Basinger. Um, looks like there's a top four, the two Atlanta guys, and then Olsen and Basinger. But as much as I wanted Clegg to win his first, he he just choked on the stretch. And Basinger's Basinger, man. Clegg has the higher R war, lower ERA, but that's about it. Uh, facing are just all around better year. Pretty clear vote. Yeah, I think you have to give it to Basinger. Clegg really dried up down the stretch, apparently. Um, and uh, yeah, there's not a lot else here. I mean, it's probably the two Atlanta guys right after Basinger. Um, I still like WPA. Uh, I like win probability added. So I'll look at that too. Justin Olsen probably deserves some votes. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. You have an ERA under two. You're doing something right. Yeah, um, and Eason pitching the ninth inning, which I had him on my ballot above Freilich, who by the advanced stats had a better season. But when you're pitching the ninth and your ERA is under two, that's that's how you win ball games. And uh, I might put TJ Schaefer on my ballot somewhere too. Um, again, he had a 125 ERA. Um, Goes against uh, goes against some of what I think of when I think of games played because the equivalent of that is innings pitched. But uh, yeah, he I uh, think he's only like thirty five innings pitched or something like that. Yeah, he had a great uh, year, but 
I haven't been injury. 43, but still, you know, uh, we'll see. I don't, I don't totally know what I'm going to do, but Basinger will be at the top, which is really all that should matter. Daryl Julian was the other guy in my ballot outside of those top four we just mentioned. But, I uh, might clear, put, pretty clear number five to me. I might be a homer and put Edho somewhere on my ballot. I he had, had pretty Ito, good year. I had Edho on my ballot. Um, I'm going to list off who I had here for East Silver Slugger. If you guys disagree with any of these, then please speak up and we can talk about that. Catcher Hector Ibarra, first base Chris Mulholland, second base Oscar Fuentes, third base Mike Gebhardt, shortstop Memo uh, Sierra in Cleveland, left field Sergio Castillo, center field Jesse McMichael, right field Silky Flores, DH Luis Pineda. Uh, I agree with all of them. The only difference is I voted for Linfoot. Um, slug- stolen bases matter, and you know, if, I don't, Linfoot did have like 1.2 less zone rating. Then McMichael, so you'd think that his silver slugger, silver slugger stock should go up a little bit, but interchangeable. I mean, yeah, that's the argument for Linfoot. If you believe base running matters, then Linfoot is definitely in that conversation with McMichael. If you don't think base running matters, then it's McMichael. This is where it really struggles for me. The only one of those that I might not vote for Silky, D. Rich will disown me um, because of the games played, but. Uh, I love this on you. That's fine. He was just so much better than Pisano. Yeah, I know. There's, it's a, it. Nobody has a 452 Woba. There's probably something to DeRich not completely being a Homer Brave snob when he talks about the greatness of Silky Season, because like 452 Wobas do not exist. I mean, that is just incredible. So, yeah. You want to hear something really, really funny? He didn't have the best Woba in the league this year. Really? Yeah. Because it's uh, not park-adjusted. That's the only way I can think of it. That's no. the one that's not park-adjusted, so it went to Ryan Pruitt. Oh, wait. Ryan. What was his Woba for? I'm looking at, no, I'm looking at the leaderboard. Pruitt is just slightly higher than Silky. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are two of the best young hitters in all of baseball, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. They should be and, together. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Well, let's move on to the West now. Let's start with the Hold Central. On. Let oh. me catch you off real quick. Okay. I got to get the last word when we're talking about my, my, my boy here. It's funny that you can say, like, I'm going to vote for Pisano. I'm not going to vote for Pisano because Silky was that much better. So even with the last game played, I'm going to vote for Silky for Silver Slugger. Oh, but you can't, make that, you can't make that differentiation with MVP. Because, because he wasn't that much better than... He was, though. He totally was. I think you're underselling how, how good he was. It's fine if you don't want to, if you make the game's played argument, but I think if you make it for one, you should make it for the other. So well, I think I am, you should either vote Silky for both well, or vote Pisano. Not running for position player of the year. Right. He w- it's a different player. Exactly. Different Pisano probably would be in the running if he had better defense. But that's, yeah, but he doesn't that's have better adding defense. a third of the game. All right. Whatever. Let's go on to the West. Let's start in the Central. Not a lot to talk about besides Kansas City doing a Kansas City thing and trading away its stud pitcher before the playoff race. And then what do you know? They miss out. Um, beyond that, it's Houston, Chicago, and Colorado in the playoffs. Uh, Chicago swooned late but ended up winning their last seven to clinch the two seed. Let's start here with the Rockies, however. Um, this is a team that hits really well, runs the bases really well, and just tries to outscore its opponent. Gomez hit 51 home runs. 
Mamma Mia hit 33 home runs. Andy Allen had a 4.35 ERA. Mark Scruggs had a 5.18 ERA, and yet still went 16 and eight. Yeah, those aren't bad ERAs, by the way. <laughs> in first um, field. Yeah. Um, this is a team that that just has to win eight to eight to six games, twelve to ten games. Yeah, and I, I think they have the right pitchers to do it. I I really really like the Rockies. Um, yeah, spoiler for some predictions. I really like this team. You can tell that the 4.35 ERA for Andy Allen really wasn't all that bad when you look at the WAR numbers. That's all park adjusted and everything. And how about Mark Scruggs? He uh, only pitched 177 innings and is pushing four WAR. Yeah. So an ERA above five is not bad. And you're right. This is what the Rockies do. They have score people. Uh, Gomez staying healthy was, of course, clutch and just had one of the best years of his career. 51 home runs. Over a thousand OPS. This is what this team does. They they bludgeon people. Um, it's not quite my favorite Rockies teams. Will always be the Fleming, Burkhart, Ramirez, Purdue Rockies. Team. Oh yeah, those, those teams are teams were much better. That just really bludgeoned people, right? Um, and Andy Allen was sort of nostalgically on those teams as well. Uh, but I don't disagree. I think this team is solid. I, we'll get to the Cubs later. I think you might be underselling the Cubs a little bit. Like, there's nothing. I think the Cubs are uber dangerous. Like, those. That's a really dangerous team. Like, which whoever team wins this game is, I think, really, really dangerous moving forward. Or this series here in the Central. Uh, these two teams tied because late. I think the Cubs must have swept them. Uh, in the last the series last, of the season. Yeah, last series of yeah. the season. Um, and so that's sort of interesting. Um, they swept a Matt Coors, too. Yeah, Cubs are, Cubs are hot at the right time. Um, but in any event, um, I, I don't know what else is there is to say. I mean, if Andy Allen could easily pitch real well, especially in Chicago. This series is going to start in Chicago because they must have the tiebreaker on the Rockies. Um, a big uh, loss here is the loss of starting shortstop Shane Frazier. He's out two weeks. He's going to miss this first series. Ooh, that's a killer. He's uh, so It's going to be uh, Michael's favorite player, Phil Collins, filling in at shortstop. Which I, I don't think, actually. Frazier's a really nice hitter, but um, man, he just killed them defensively, so it's, it's not the end of the, the world. Field. Um, but you do lose something with the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said earlier, so much of this team came down to Gomez staying healthy. Uh, yeah, just that extra 30 games makes makes a big difference. And Chris Madrano gave you an unreal performance. He was so good. Yeah, it's, it's We're going to talk about him later for awards. But, man, it's just fun to see these 23-year-olds come to Colorado and hit the cover off the ball. I love it when good hitting specs go to Colorado because you know it's going to be just fun. It's like video yeah. game numbers, right? That's that's why I was so happy Gomez went to Colorado of all places, right? And you got rewarded three twenty five, three seventy, six forty three. I mean, yeah. dear lord. So so it's fun to look at Gomez's stats because uh, he has this exact same OPS plus. That's just an easy park adjusted one to get to. He has the exact same OPS plus in Colorado at one forty three than he did earlier in his career in Atlanta. Um, and it kind of just goes to show how big the Coors factor is. His OPS was almost 100 points higher, and it's the same park-adjusted. 
Or if, right. if you want to look back miles. at 2010, his OPS was only three points higher. 1,015 compared to 1,012, his OPS plus was 20 points higher. Yep. Yeah, so 2010 was a way better season, but man, tough to argue with 50 bombs and 165 RBIs was approaching our all-time record, which is That's just 172. right. Okay, well, let's yep. move on to their opponent, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we have new management. We had new management this year. Ryan did not send them into the ground. Uh, was Are you guys, were you guys really surprised by uh, Steve leaving the Cubs? No. Especially not after I hear him run his mouth all day. He's the type to want to go out on top so he can always be the best. And then I think go back to his uh, hometown team. Yeah. yeah. If that's it certainly part of it. If it wasn't the Yankees, he wouldn't have gone. Um, shout out to Jacob Shaver, who in his first 23 games hit 11 home runs and had an OPS of nearly 1,200. So uh, is, <laughs> is that sustainable? No, but it's... He's going to be fucking really good. This guy's the X Factor. I'm a little bit worried he won't be able to hit lefties, uh, although it didn't show this year. I mean, so, but the ratings look a lot less juicy against left-handed pitching. Like, yeah, not, they're, uh, not only did he win, so he didn't even he didn't even win Batter of the Week last week. I don't understand that. But not only did he win Rookie of the Month last month, he won Batter of the Month last month. Yeah, that's making a splash. So... I'm going to share a little story about Ryan. Um, we were talking trades for something, and uh, Schaefer came up. I wasn't dumb enough to ask for him, like I'm sure a lot of you vultures. But we're talking about Schaefer, and he's like, man, I don't really get why everyone likes him so much. Like He's not that good. And then it took Ryan a moment to realize that we function on a 20 to 80 scale. He thought we were we zero to 100. So that's 75 home run power. <laughs> he was like, that's okay, I guess. Not the best in all of baseball. Right. But, yeah, he didn't know what, what he had on his hands. And a guy you can't play against lefties, but shit. He's going to hit a lot of homers. A lot of homers. And I'm glad he's in the Central. It's a home run heavy division. He's going to have fun. Uh, Luis Mojica continued to do Luis, Mo- Luis Mojica things. Three war. Uh, John Schwab is now locked up until 2017. Uh, he had 7.3 WAR this year, uh, a career year. That that SOB, that damn SOB. Um, Matt Rowland signed a three-year extension. He took a massive step back this year. Yeah, that's a big contract for Schwab, almost 130 million dollars. But uh, hard to not, pick a guy who's better to give it to. It's not Juan Guerrero money, but it's close. Yeah, can't really argue with it, but man. The guy doesn't get hurt. And he does defense and runs. Good. Yeah. How about the 47 steals this year coming out of the fucking blue? That just out of nowhere. I mean, he caught nine back times. In, he stole 41 back in 2010. Yeah, and then came back to earth, and it's still in base. They're so hard two, to predict. He was two homers away from joining the uh, 40 40 club. And that yeah. would have been what? Second all time? It would have been pretty neat. Only the second player. Trujillo's done it three times. No one else has ever done it. Yeah. Unless I'm forgetting someone, which I very well could be. This yeah. team's really good. I mean, <laughs> I look at this team. We I mean, pick they, on the Central if we want, and justifiably, to a large extent, the bottom of that division is really freaking bad. Milwaukee, 
St. Louis, they weren't really good this year. Kansas City Matt does Kansas City Matt things. Drives me bonkers. But these top three teams are really good, friends. They're really good. Yeah, maybe I am underselling them, but I think they have a lot of weaknesses. What, what um, the, the Cubs' main weakness is their bullpen as it is. They have Caro at the back end beyond that, not much. But they do have is a very strong 1-2-3, at least ratings-wise. Leffler took a step back this year, but he also got babbitt to death. Uh, Arturo Pineda was at was downright fantastic in three five five ERA among the tops in the West, and Kevin Jenkins is a three five three ERA and three WAR and only a hundred innings pitched. That well, one because Jenkins th- can't that guy can't start games anymore. That's the thing. What are you talking about? I guess I'm games. talking out of my ass. I you're right. I am not talking out of my ass. Sorry, I had to check my scout, and my scout says stamina up from thirty five to fifty five. After the injury, a stamina tank for me, so I was thinking he was a Willie Thiel guy. So, um, I mean, excuse Leff- me, I'm mistaken. Leffler, Pineda, Jenkins, three righties. So they don't exactly match up well with these Colorado mashing lefties. Medrano, Gomez, um, forget me if I'm... Uh, David Thompson, I believe, starts against righties. Um, Kevin Marr uh, even starts against righties, so... It's going to be power on power. Leffler versus Gomez is going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, the thing about the Cubs that's a little worrisome is the run differential is pretty ugly this year. Um, looks like they lucked into a lot of wins they shouldn't have. To the, you can just see one-run games. Part of that's probably... In those one-run yeah. games. Yeah, this it felt unsustainable for a long time what they were doing. And then they went on a big losing streak in September. So they did come back to reality a bit. Granted, they finished with a 6-0 and to make it all better. But I don't know. I just I see a couple big holes in the lineup. I don't think uh, this Rule 5 guy, Arsenal, is going to do what he's did. I feel like he got a fluky year out of him. Even a fluky year out of Camacho. Um, the good hitters are great. The good pitchers are great, but... I don't see a ton of depth, and I think things can go wrong unless they get what they did last year, which is unbelievable playoff performances from random guys. Who's going to face this Houston team? I'm taking I'm, the Rockies. I'm going to take the Cubs. I'm going to take break the, Cubs. the time. I'm going to take the Cubs as well. I will one more say, guy. I will Sorry. say one thing. The this is the sexiest of these two-three matchups, and it's really not close. I mean, this is just sucks. Such a sexy matchup. Cubs Rockies with all these hitters. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And I'm going to say it again. The, the winner of this series is really, really dangerous. Really dangerous. And that is not a good sign for the team that won the most games in baseball this year. The 103 win Houston Astros led by just the best player in baseball on Hill Trujillo. I could talk for... I could talk for an hour and 15 minutes about Angel Trujillo. I'm going to save you guys from that. Um, but this, he's going to win Silver Slugger, uh, Gold Glove, MVP. He's going to win it all again this year. Um, and that's going to be three straight years that he sweeps, which is downright incredible. Um, but it's not just Trujillo. Jason Halverson had a fantastic year. 27 home runs, 136 RBIs, 6 war, OPS of 908. Fantastic defense. Um, out in left field, plus 21.2. You have Tyrese Voltaire in right field, who is plus 6, who had a 700 
OPS. You have uh, Rodolfo Gomez, who had an 839 OPS and 39 home runs for the second straight season. This is a balanced lineup, and you even have talent coming from the catcher position in Kinnan Ketchison, who had four worn and 868 OPS. Yeah, that kid in particular, I was going to bring him up. Uh, that's a huge boost to an already good lineup. Grabbing the silver slugger catcher, you know, now a two-time all-star for a guy who doesn't look like much, but he brings a lot to the table. Um, not a lot of weaknesses in the, in the lineup. Best defense in baseball. It reminds me a lot of the Expos. Um, I think it's a better version of the Expos. I think I like this team a little less than the Expos, but I don't know why. I don't have good reasons for that. Um, I can't get over how good their pitching is. It's got to be because of the defense. Totally, um, totally. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's nuts. And, uh, I mean, you can tell. I mean, Chris Horn came over and was resurgent, right? Um, Chad Herner was resurgent, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see what order uh, uh, he puts them in. I mean, obviously, they'll all get plenty of rest. Who goes to the he gets a bye. Maybe or Drake? I think that you have to. I think I like Roman more than, than Drake. No matter what, you want as many lefties in the lineup as you can have. I wouldn't be surprised if you have. Kyle Knowing Lee. Sterling, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pitches all five guys. And I was just thinking that same thing. Like, that's something that um, that Jangles did. He, he went with a five-man uh, postseason rotation. Yeah, I don't, it um, wouldn't shock, shock me at all, especially but, considering Drake is a lefty, like you said. But for as good as this lineup is, the, the heart and soul of this team is the bullpen. Steve Young, 1680 ERA, 42 saves. Fred Delk, uh, uh, 2.65 ERA in 88 innings pitched. Mike Clark uh, had a 2.82 ERA in 92 innings pitched. Travis Spikes had a 2.91 ERA in 74 innings pitched. Uh, there's a reason this bullpen had a 3.28 ERA. This is the strength of this team, besides just the fielding. Um, it is bullpen fielding, and it helps having the best player in baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still guess. sort of get a feeling that the offense is all Trujillo, but that's probably not true. I mean, it's really not fair. They were fourth in the West and run scored. So you know, clearly they've got something going for them. Yeah, just, there's not a lot of weaknesses. Um, I do think, like comparing them to Montreal... Like Montreal's Tim more Peach, balanced. Tim Peach had a four-home run week. He had a three-dinger day. Yeah, he had an OPS over eight for the season. Just Everyone's producing. Some of these guys, like Peach and Anderberg, I still think are not great players. They're just kind of overperforming. But yet, at some point in time, you just got to say they're for real. And unlike the Nationals, the Astros have been doing it for a while. Right. So I think I'm in. Um I will pick them out of the Central, as much as I like the Rockies. I just think the defense is, plays too well in Coors Field. Trent? I, uh, I think I'm going to take Houston, too. Uh, I don't feel really good about it. And I think he really should consider pitching both of those lefties against either Colorado or Chicago. Um, Maybe not even in a five-man rotation if you have a guy who you don't think matches up well in Snead or something. Um, just, maybe you do hard. go with a five-man. I don't know. 
I would have given my left arm for another starter with a left arm that he threw with against the Cubs last year in the Sky Championship. I mean, it happened with me, too. I didn't have enough lefties. I had two, and I didn't have enough. Um, You need a lefty to beat that Cubs team. I think the Astros come out. I think that both of these series go the distance. I think the first series goes five games, and this series goes seven. It's really, really tough. I wouldn't be surprised. You could tell me any one of these teams won it all, and I'd not be surprised. And yeah, I just I've been sick of underselling the Astros. Uh, I've shit on this team a lot because on paper they don't look good, but the scrubs perform, and the defense is something that it doesn't go hot and cold. Like your bats and your arms can go hot right. and cold. The defense is going to be out of this world. Guaranteed. Defense doesn't slump. Yep, yeah. that's a really good point. Yep. And worth noting, this Astros team, most wins in the majors. 103 wins. Well, and they're for real. That wasn't fake either. It's not just one-run games. They were really good, but 215 run differential. Like, that's not, it's not making it up. Nope, they are was, legitimately and that, that number 100 was, run differential better than either the Cubs or the Rockies. Their 98-58 like, Pythagorean record was second in the, second in the league. They're um, really freaking good. Let's move on to the Pacific. Only one team here worth touching on that did not make the playoffs. Um, I feel so bad for San Francisco, Matt. Just, I feel bad. Yeah. That Pythagorean record's pretty fucking depressing, dude. Jeez. Uh, and especially when you look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers are just so bad. Yeah, this, this is the year that they have the worst record, but it's kind of the year I feel for most. Yeah, I sort of felt badly when he lost the two game 157s in a row, because that's sort of shitty. Um, but this is worse. I mean, to, to have a better run differential than the team that beat you by four games and have them beat you by, or have them beat you by four games and have a better Pythagorean record by seven games just makes you feel all dirty on the inside i mean it's just not good um and so i do think better days are ahead for matt i think this giants team is pretty decent uh doesn't have terrible prospects i think he's got a pretty good future uh i just saw that while we were potting here he posted something on slack that was you know that he thinks maybe a lot of this is luck and i think he might be onto something what is it think some of the dairy's Darius Thompson stuff is uh, weird. What happened to him this year with just pitching on the road a lot? I think that's luck. Right, that's and, not uh, luck. That's something you can control where you, where he pitches. That's just bad management. Um, I think Boy. also another thing that killed him. Sorry, uh, is he went out and traded for all these new pitchers. He had so many new arms, and a lot of them didn't work out. Kenny Rich Todd Miller came was over. Fantastic. Was bad. Yeah, Mello was good, but Eggerbrecht, not great. Rich Todd at the deadline, big deadline deal. Came over, pitched three times before he was like just stuffed away back in, in AAA. It's a shame. Worth noting, San Francisco went 16 and 27 in one run games. 40% of the variance. Is that what you were going to say, mm-hmm. Jake? Only yeah, one it's... other team was more games under 500, and that was the Orioles. Yep. Um, but going to the three teams that did make the playoffs, first is the Dodgers. Um, 
Dierich, you just didn't pull any punches there. You said they were bad. Uh, would you like to elaborate on that? I don't know if I have to. Um, yeah, they're not very good. But this is just like they make the playoffs, but if they were in a division that you know you needed to win ninety games to make the playoffs, and it might change things, but it's hard for him to make changes when you keep making the playoffs, but the team's kind of shown that it's not good enough to become a true contender. Granted, they did win a ring and it was a wild year, but yeah, I don't, I just don't feel good when I look at this roster ever. Uh, I certainly don't get afraid. Like they, they won 86 games. That's about right for a, an okay team, but by all the metrics, it looked like they overperformed to get there. They 100% overperformed, um, but they got there. This is a team that revolves around Josh Phillips and, and Kyle Burris. If those top two aren't performing, then I mean they combined for 32 wins. They have Jimenez, who hit 43 home runs, but Ignacio Mendoza led them with a 289 batting average. They were 12th in OPS, 10th in WOBA, 14th in base running, 9th in run score. This going up against the Seattle pitching staff, which we'll get to. I'm just it, this could be a three-game sweep. If How there many, is any, if there is any justice in the world at all, Seattle will make very short work of the Los Angeles Dodgers. See, we said the, that last year, and the Dodgers swept them. Yeah, but that uh, I do not think that Dodgers team compares to this Dodgers team. That Dodgers team was better, and that still wasn't fair because Seattle was better last year. They won uh, over a hundred. Exactly, Seattle was well, and again, Seattle's. I don't think there was a lot of justice in that. It makes you feel better, but I do think that that Dodgers team was better than this Dodgers team, and I sort of saw that one coming. I, the, for whatever reason, that Dodgers team just looked better. It looked better. Up and down the lineup, it looked better. Up and down the pitching staff, it looked better. This team's just not as good. Maybe it's because Mike Michelson has been pretty darn awful this year, um, and so the pitching staff doesn't look as good, but I don't know. This team just doesn't really do anything for me. And uh, they're obviously pitching-driven, given to by the run scored, runs allowed. Uh, but it's, it begins and ends with Josh Phillips, who's on any short list for best, you know, five starters. Josh so Phillips this is guy. my West pitcher of the year. So um, how many games do they win without Phillips? I know they went 16-9, and but... Like an, are they just getting an average pitcher? Yeah, yeah. 80? Sure. 78? Oh, man, I think it's worse than that. No, I think they're probably... Yeah, I don't think it's a lot worse than that. Maybe 75? I think that's about the lowest I'm willing to go. Yeah, he, just, was worth, he was worth seven wars, so I'd say 79. Yeah, just... Josh Phillips... He fucking earned every one of these 16 wins. Because his run support was so garbage this year. You might say that they lose all 16 games if they have an average pitcher. Because he only got like three and a half runs per game of help. It's crazy. Yeah. I think what's weird about this team is that all of a sudden it can't score runs. Like last year, they were much better offensively. And so yeah, that's part of I, that. That's why I thought they had a puncher's chance against Seattle. And, and this year, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Part of that's because Keith. Last year, Keith Finkel was like an 
a silver slugger, all-star superstar talent. And uh, even though he was good this year, he just came back to reality and missed a lot of time and didn't give you that 130 RBI season that he needs. You know, maybe they get better with as Manny Lopez gets older, and but that's about it. I just I don't see a ceiling for what he has above 90 wins anytime soon. And if you want to be happy winning 88, making the third seed every year, that's fine. Just I'm getting about as bored with the Dodgers as I am with the Nets. Then let's move on to Seattle, a team that finished third in the West in runs scored, fourth in runs against, first in pitcher war, third in batting war, and yet is playing in the first round. 98-win team, third in the majors, playing in the play-in round. This is probably the best team uh, to play in the play-in round since last year's Seattle Mariners. Um, This team doesn't have a hole. This team is really good from Jose Galvez leading off to Kaimani Alamine, Shane Kinder, Arturo Flores, uh, Silver Slugger winner Juan Ochoa, who bat 360 this year. And then you go to the rotation, Arturo Alvarado, Corey Deering, Matt Price, the bullpen, Brett Viani, uh, Mark Penny, uh, rookie Ronda, prospect Ronda Rita. This team is so good. Yeah, they're really solid. No weaknesses, a lot of strengths. I would love to see how they would do in the in the East, when you have more than four teams trying to win. Um, so I think some of these Pacific numbers get inflated because this division became the worst in baseball really fast from being the best. But it's weird, like, you think of Seattle as this team that lives and dies off the rotation, but the last year or two, they've kind of transitioned to their powerhouse offensively, and that's why they're scary. Well, the year that Dustin won it all with Seattle. They were not a powerhouse offensively. No. Like, they just got hot. All those guys hit really well. That was the year Galvez went from a high A ball to the majors and hit, like, to a 1,300 OPS in the playoffs or some preposterousness. This team now, they can hit. And uh, I, I cannot wait for the California-Seattle series. I think that's one of the reasons I'm rooting for Seattle to win because I and I feel everyone who's just a baseball fan should want to see California and Seattle square off in a seven game series to decide who comes out of this division. Yeah, totally. Um, it'd be a sh- just a shame. You know, we missed out on it last year because dumb luck, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I keep, I keep looking at the lineup and I feel like they need one more star bat, but when so many guys step up and play as good as they played this year, even the guys in short time, like Corey Owens at 350, yeah, you don't need it. You just put nine guys on the field that can hit is a recipe. What's Even Luis Garcia, his catcher, who came out of nowhere, you know, he traded Camacho last year, called up, called up Garcia from A-ball, and even he hit. I, he's like, Dustin is like the catcher whisperer. Whoever's catching is fucking fantastic, and it just makes me mad, but it's a part of the reason why this team's so good, because it's so well-rounded. And I think Dustin well, would be upset if we did not mention that Seattle legend Ben Heron even OPSed 800 and 300 plate appearances. I was about to say he picked up Ben Heron off the trash heap. He's the Ben Heron whisperer, too. Yeah. This guy's only good in Seattle. so 
he has 39.4 career war. 33 of that uh, has come in Seattle. The other five and a half of that came in San Diego. Yeah, I need Dustin to talk more shit because I just want more reasons to fucking hate the Mariners. He's becoming that team where everyone just is good. Whoever you call up just is good. Pissed me off. Um, and then, is there anything more we need to talk about with Seattle? I mean, Arturo Alvarado's second half of the year came out of nowhere. Um, he's he's really good, too. Yes. Yeah. I, I said it once before, but I think there's a good chance he goes down as the greatest pitcher in Sky history. Um, fun fact, Arturo, Alvar- Arturo Alvarado and Juan Gomez were born on the exact same day in the exact same year. Interesting. Both January 1st, 1983. Is, is it just me, or is it illegal that Arturo Alvarado is only 29? It is right? I'm just going to say. Alvarado is only 29. Like, he's got to be 39. Like, there's got to be a misprint. Yeah, I mean, he's been pitching. He's been a Cy Young candidate since he was 22. For fucking ever. He's yeah, only 29. We have 10 more years of this shit. Yeah. And he started over 30 games every year, which is why I think pending disaster he's going to pitch five or six more years at the same production and he's going to have a real good argument at dethroning ponds bugsy elbow inflammation 2011 strained oblique in 2011 that is the extent of his injury history yeah he's he's got goat potential he's 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 just illegally good yeah um, I think it would bother me less if he weren't like a fourth round pick in 2002 and started as like a 30 overall future value potential guy. Oh, and was a reliever who right. ran two pitches? Yep. Exactly. Not just one, but I had to learn two pitches. Yep. I think Ugh. that Dustin is really just the everything whisperer. He's not the catcher whisperer. He's not the Ben Aaron whisperer. He's not the pitcher. He's just the whisperer. All he does yeah. is whisper all the and time. And after all the complaining about the budget, He's got a top five budget, and he's paying Corey during 55 cents. So he's really got one of the biggest payrolls. I mean, <laughs> everything's broken right for the Mariners. And, it's wild. And um, we're going to go on now to my team. I'm, I'll talk a bit. This is the first year in a while that injuries besieged us. Escobedo done for the year. Gary Robin done for the year. Adam McEntee done for the year. Steve Tingle done for the year. Uh, Nate Totten is back in two weeks. Worth noting. Um, Just don't do it, Jacob. Luis Noyola missed time this year. Jorge Rivera missed time this year. Um, Reese, like always, played 150 games. Kevin Frichtel might have been the biggest impact on this team this year. Yeah, I think you're um, overrating the injuries a little bit, to be honest. Like, I know it's, I have to scroll down to read them all, but um, a couple of these relievers are good, but it it doesn't really make that big of a deal. It doesn't turn the needle anyway. Uh, Escobedo and Totten, both guys who've had a history of season-long injuries, so I'm not shocked there. And Noyola missed about a week, so I'm not fucking having a pity party for the Angels just yet. Just yet. That said, yeah. I don't know. They're, they're the same old team. Um, we talked about them before the season. We all expected them to win this many games. There's no surprises here, including the injuries. Um, thought those were inevitable. Just really good team. Um, no one really did anything outlandish either. You don't have any wild seasons. No big slumps. No amazing performances. Maybe Steve Vines uh, 
as good as he was this year. You could say is like a outlier or Salmonen. You could say Salmonen's year is probably an outlier, but because he was remarkable. But other than that, it's just Angels being the Angels. Yeah. I don't know. 100 win team, write it down, book it every year. Yeah, they're really good. I don't know what else to say. I can't wait to see who wins that series between California and Seattle. Yeah, part of me thinks you, California's just due. But uh, I kind of like the Seattle roster a little more. I think I do too. And I think I do too. And I do as well. I don't think we make it out of the. I don't think we make it out of the Pacific. I think we lose to Seattle. We won, I believe, seven and five against them this year. Eight and four, or four and eight. We 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 had a worse. We did not have a good head-to-head record against them this year. I see what you're doing, Jake. You're trying to pray to the OOTP gods because you picked the Angels to win the championship every year on this podcast, and now. You're picking a first-round exit, so this could be the year you win it all. Can you blame I me? see the game you're playing. I see the game. Can you blame me? <laughs> uh, well, it's just that he can't pick the Angels and Braves in the finals this year, so he went yeah. for something different. Yeah, yeah maybe. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint. Yeah, I like Seattle. Um, it, you can't go wrong with either team. There's not really weaknesses anywhere. Uh, I think the Angels' defense is... The worst, by far, the worst part of the Angels, and it's I think just the worst part of any of these teams, in all likelihood. Like the teams are so good and so well rounded, I think I I lean that way, and I prefer Alvarado and Price and Deering to the top three in the Angels rotation. So I think I would take De La Cruz before Price or Deering. Oh, of course, of course. I'm just saying one to one, two to two. I'd rather have that as a whole. But I think I'd, I think you got to favor Alvarado over De La Cruz. Um, I might take Aguilar over Deering and uh, Price too, but that's a little closer. But beyond that, I don't know. I think it gets a little sketchy in that Angels rotation. Bird uh, Bird is hot. Five September starts to a tune of a one two four ERA. Yeah, no, I noticed that he won a pitcher of the month or something in there. I saw. Yep. Um, Let's look at that. Padres, Padres, Oakland. Vegas. Yep, not surprising. And Seattle. He he seven and a third, two earned against Seattle to clinch the division. Final yep. game of the year. It wasn't lights out, man. But yeah, eight hits, that, four walks, the, whatever. Those, those two San Diego starts <laughs> did help. Um, yeah, seventeen innings, four hits, sixteen strikeouts, two walks. Yeah, I, I do like Bird a lot, and having an extra lefty always helps. Just never a bad thing. Uh, yeah. I lean I lean Seattle. Even Neil Mitchell had a sub three ERA in six starts. Um, but yeah, two against Oakland, two against Arizona, one against the Dodgers. Yeah, that's we haven't shit on the Pacific enough, man. There are four teams actively trying to lose games, so of <laughs> course you could you have a great record. Well, it's really interesting because Rich is right. This team went from the this division went from the best in the sky easily last year. This was easily the best division in the sky. I don't know if it was to like, to the worst division in the sky in a year. In I think we overrate, have overrated, overrated the Pacific for a long time. San Diego's been shitty forever. Arizona has been shitty for like five years now. Well, ever since Arizona Vegas was, uh, yeah, Vegas is, was okay last year, but they had the worst pitching in all of baseball. So that's a nice way to pad your stats. Oakland has 
been fucking terrible since the dawn of time. Uh, yeah, it's just it's been the same four teams. Now this is the first time that Oakland made a move to kind of declare to the world that we're trying to lose games. I'm getting rid of Tony Flores and now going to full time actively make zone rating jokes in Slack. But that's it. Like it's just I I think it'd be interesting just to say like. How many games do the Angels and Mariners win if they're in the North or the Atlantic? When, like, I think they're both playoff teams for sure in both. They might still be the two best teams in Sky, but are they 100 win teams or are they 92 win teams? So, I don't know. So, would you would you use the Sky interleague then to extrapolate that data to 156 games? If they're not even playing the Pacific; they're just playing every other team. I mean, I I don't know if that is the best representation. I just don't know if it's possible uh, to really get a good idea. Cause that, that's that's one of the reasons I like Interleague is because you play everyone. You can see how you play against a, a specific division. Um, yeah, but as, it's... As, as I, I agree with you. That's running 17 things at once, and I'm trying to load Excel here to, to grab my file. Um, there's a reason that Houston was... I believe, I believe it was Houston that was the best team uh, in Interleague. Again, I could be wrong. I'm trying to get this to load while I'm running 17,000 other things. Um, but do we agree that it's Seattle that gets out of the uh, gets out of the Pacific? Yeah, I think I'm going to take the Mariners. That's my pick, but I think, man, they're both so close. I, just, I, yeah. I could go either way. It's a total so, coin flip. Yeah, so I think I th that I was going to use the phrase coin flip, too. So I believe we all have Miami versus the Mets in the East. We have Houston versus Seattle. In the West, Are we, did we all pick the same teams? No, I picked I picked the Pirates. Oh yeah, you did, you did. Um, regard. Okay, so my sheet decided to load. Yep, Houston won forty nine games in interleague. Montreal won forty seven. California won forty six. No one else won more than forty uh, forty five. So the California Angels still left there. Seattle won forty two games in interleague. Um, again, extrapolated over. Um. Uh, let me see if I can do math here, because that's difficult sometimes. I just don't know if there's a good way to, you know, I don't know if you're going to prove that the Angels are this good. I um, extrapolated over 156-game season. The California Angels in interleague are a 100-win team. All right. Yeah, like I, that doesn't really prove anything to me. I do think they're really good. I'm not trying to totally disparage what you're doing. Um I just think, like, playing in the East when you have two divisions that are basically competitive top to bottom versus playing in the West is a, a big advantage. I, mean, um, I know we do play interleague, but you do play four series against teams instead of one. It does change things a bit. That is, that is true. Um, all right, so playoff uh, regional championship series and Sky Cup pr uh, predictions. Go. All right, on the East, I'm going to take the Mets over Miami, um, in part because I think Miami's due to cool down, and there's nothing that makes you colder than a cool glass of Pond's juice. So I like the Mets out of the East. And then uh, in the Central, I'm going to roll with Houston Astros to not only beat Seattle, but to take down the championship. I think we're going to see our best record win the ship, which I don't know if has ever happened, but... I think this it's happened a couple of times. 
I mean, I think th- th- it happened in back-to-back years in 01 and 02 with, uh, with uh, the Mets in 02 and uh, with Montreal in 01. But uh, it might not have happened since then. Um, yeah, I think you're right, but that beginning part of our league was so... Yeah, we that just was a got these weirder. teams. And, right. Yeah, right. The Montreal was so fucking good in comparison to the rest. Now yeah. we're a little more balanced. You know, I think it's a little different. You're right. Um, I uh, just realized I picked an all-east uh, throwback final from several years ago of uh, Infernal's Evil Empire. Um, and uh, I'm going to take the Mets. And uh, I think in the Western Finals, I'm going to take Seattle. And we're going to have a throwback 1950s baseball 2-1 sort of games. Most boring Sky Final in human history. Seattle's not that way anymore, man. This is 2012. This isn't 2006. I I think I'm going to take the Mariners to win it all and get Dustin his second title. All right, I will take the Marlins over the Mets, and I'm going to take the Astros over the Mariners, and I think that fucktard in Miami gets his second ring. That Miami Wouldn't that be terrible? Is so good. It would be absolutely terrible. And yes, Jay, I already see the middle finger emoji coming at me. Just called him a fucktard. He quite deservingly should give you a middle finger. I mean, that's yeah. fair. Jeez. That would be the most Marlins thing to happen, like, they're good for the first time in 10 years, and they run and they the table. That run. I didn't mean it, Jay. We love you. You're not a fucktard. No, he's a, he's a fucktard, but okay. he's I, got a pretty good team there. I, I don't know the meaning of fucktard, so I'm just going to move on. I think it's fucking retard is what it stands for. Was that what uh, it is? Okay. I think it's a conjunction. Okay. Um, well, then our last thing to touch on in this two-hour, 30-minute postseason podcast is the western region awards and we will end with general manager of the year so first let's talk western region position player of the year two through five because one is trujillo yeah it's trujillo um and uh, yeah it's trujillo i think that we actually have so many close awards but this one's not close um for second, I voted Gomez. Uh, I think if he Gomez played, Gomez has two first place votes, and Pruitt has one right now. Yeah, maybe people like the big RBI numbers. You know, on the bright side, those three first place votes have Trujillo in second, so not all. Well, that's lost. good. Good. I think Gomez loses some stats. I mentioned this a few times, but he played part of the year in center field, where he's a negative. He's a Gold Glover in left, so just. The war alone would look a lot juicier had he done that. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to debate these that much because I just don't care. But him, Pruitt, and Schwab, in some order, all great years, all worthy of hitter of the year. Probably would be hitter of the year in the East, but Trujillo, baby. So I left Pruitt off my ballot because I liked Landry and Parsons having played more games. Um. That's the reason I left Pruitt off my ballot. He only played 116 games. Parson played 143. Landry played all 156. Tony Flores yeah. qualified for the West uh, Western Region Player of the Year. Interesting. Yes, yes, he did. 
Yes, he did. Uh, I'm going to go with Trujillo uh, for the first. Uh, after that, I think I'm going to go Gomez. I think D. Rich talking about him playing center for a while might have just convinced me to do Gomez second. Not like it's going to matter much. Schwab third. I agree with Jake. Uh, Ryan Pruitt will not be on my ballot. Not enough games played. Um, and uh, uh, then beyond that, Parsons, Landry, probably. Probably in that order. Parsons, Landry. Yeah, who gives a shit? <laughs> Next, let's get to the fun ones, man. Western Region Pitcher of the Year. There is a top three here, then a clear number four, and then just a, then just the rest. The top three here are Josh Phillips, Arturo Alvarado, Andrew De La Cruz. I said it earlier, Josh Phillips is my Pitcher of the Year. I said that if De La Cruz won the Triple Crown, I would have a tough time not voting him. He didn't win Triple Crown. Josh Phillips had a lower ERA. Josh Phillips had a lower FIP. Josh Phillips pitched more innings. Josh Phillips had the higher war. He had the higher uh, win probability added. And if you if you factor in just how bad the Dodgers are, those 16 wins are impressive. Yeah, the run support's insane. Uh, how little he got and still won 16 games. So I'm with you. It's it's hard for me because um, David Cruz was as good as he was. But I think Phillips has emerged as kind of a clear number one guy. Uh it's hard to say anyone but Phillips. I did have De La Cruz second just for the, you know, everything else was great despite not having the war that Alvarado has. But it's those three for sure. De La Cruz did have the higher R war because he did have the lower um, ERA as opposed to FIP. Um, I voted – I'm going to vote for Phillips. I'm not sure that it's as, as close as – at least for me as you guys are saying. I think via all the real – things that i look at uh the whip under one is juicy that's de la cruz's real shining star at least what i'm looking at um but uh i'm gonna go phillips de la cruz alvarado um plus de la cruz is a dick he's disruptive in the clubhouse hey, my owner wants to get rid of him and i'm like ah nah yeah I'm, I'm yeah you're right on you're right on the whip too um this has been kind of phillips problem this whole career if you want to even call it a problem, but he did he, lead the West in walks. Like he walks, guys. Yeah, he's not flawless, but man, he's hard to hit. I just doing what he did, winning ball games, taking a team that had no business being in the playoffs to the playoffs single-handedly. It's pretty cool. And then I'm gonna take Arturo Aguilar fourth. Uh, and I think I'm gonna be an ERA snob and pick Arturo Pineda fifth. So you're saying Phillips, De La Cruz, Alvarado, Aguilar, Pineda. Yep. That is my exact five. Interesting. I uh, had Andy Allen fourth on my ballot, actually. It's I don't, completely I justifiable. I didn't sweat it too much, but uh, he had a really underrated year in Coors Field. I believe this is – I believe the – eighth straight year if things hold that Aguilar will have a top five uh, pitcher of the year um, finish. And I think all are like fourth. A lot of those are fourth place. A lot of those are third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, he just is. What makes Aguilar great is that he pitches 35 games a year and pitches a fucking ton of innings. Like, it's just the it's quantity. There's a point where quantity is actually better than quality. You know, like him giving you 240 is just remarkable. And it's not like it's a bad 240. It's still a fantastic 240. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But that—that uh, that is his. That's what makes him attractive as oh, a pitcher. Undoubtedly. Um, let's go to the West Rookie of the Year. Um, I th- there are a couple places to this go. This one's here. really hard. I I am not having any fun looking at this. I will yeah. just say. I think there there are, two I, at the, there are two at the top, and then I think a whole bunch of other guys you could vote for. I think I want to abstain from this vote because I don't want to vote for anybody. Um, I am actually going to abstain from voting for Kyle Burris. He is not a rookie. This is a stats plus mistake, so I'm not going to give him a vote. And the other obvious guy is Medrano, who played like half the year, so I don't want to vote for that guy either. Yep. I'm going to feel dirty no matter what I do. I almost want to vote for Manny Lopez, but he was under average with the bat. Like yeah. his WRC plus is 87. That's really not very good. His WOBA is 319. That is borderline bad. Like yeah. not even not very good, just bad, right? Um, a lot of his value is defense. I have no problem with that. I'm a big believer in zone rating. But boy, oh boy, this is bad. I'm probably going to either hold my nose and vote for Medrano or hold my nose and vote for Burris because – whether it's a stat plus mistake or not, if these are the guys that are eligible, you got to pick from among them. Um, how is but like, how is he? I am going to enjoy precisely none of this. Because I, mean, I this don't. Is, he pitched asking. eighty innings last year and started fourteen games. That's not a rookie. I will not vote for this guy. That's an error. Now Madrano, I will vote for in some capacity, whether it be first or second, because there's just no other options. I think I'm going to vote for Kyle Sneed. Uh, a guy who barely reached the innings limit because he's like a 35 stamina starter. But he pitched really good in Houston. Whether or not it was uh, the league-leading BABIP or something else, I just... Man. The future's not looking good for the West if these are the rookies you're throwing out there. I mean, I, oh, Chris Madrano's going to hit baseballs hard in Colorado for a long time, I think. But my problem... Oh, he'd be a fantastic rookie of the year choice. If he played more than seventy six games, yeah, even I would if he would get to four hundred eighty plate appearances, where he'd actually qualify, I would, have, I would have no problem with this award at all if there were a clear number one. Because I don't really care who finishes second, third in Western Region Rookie of the Year, right? But, but yeah, and you're right about Sneed. I might put him on my ballot too. I get to be an ERA snob that way too. That's great fun. That Hell dip yeah. is nasty looking, but whatever. Yeah, I, I went. Uh, I went Burris Medrano because Burris is eligible. All right. Well, we actually this is something we need to fix going forward because Hathaway should be on the ballot. Burris should be off the ballot. There is a an error somewhere. Some numbers off. So I, I would prefer if we don't give the award to him, even if if that was the case. You know, I'd vote Medrano. Yeah, that that's probably what who's going to win and who rightfully should. Right. Um, there's there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, I just, whatever. And Burris, Burris doesn't deserve the award, even if he was a rookie. Right. Uh, his year was pretty underwhelming. I think I'd even take Sneed's year over Burris. So, um, just an ugly, ugly, ugly vote. Yeah. So the last time that Ernesto Pons did not finish in the top three, or excuse me, top five of pitcher of the year, I believe was. 2002, the last time Aguilar did not, 2004. So, yeah, uh, Pons was close, too. If Pons uh, gets to 160 innings, 
he probably, I mean, he's got a real case, even with six more starts. I mean, even in 2002, he went 18-6 and six and 36 starts in a 6.8 war. How was he not on the ballot? How did he not make the ballot? I don't know. Maybe I just completely misread that, which is completely possible. Um, let's move on to Western Region Reliever of the Year. I think there are, a couple, there are many, many guys to vote for. I voted Vines. Um, or excuse me, yeah, Ernesto Pons did finish second there in 2002. 2001 was last year. Uh, he did not show up on the belt, and that was his only year as a full-time reliever. So Ernesto Pons is really good. Um, yeah, Western Region rookie the, uh, reliever of the year. Um, I went Vines. I, don't... I went Vines, then Thiel, then Young, and I think you can go any combination of those three for the top. Yeah, I, I think you can. You can't really go wrong. Um... I went Vines as well. Like, Vines. they're close, but it's, it's kind of like Pitcher of the Year. It's close. You have three guys at the top, but it's pretty hard to not vote Vines. I mean, Vines um, did He not gave you less up. innings. Yeah. He did not give up a single home run all year. Yeah, it's, that's pretty that, special. That's a fun little stat. Look at that. You know, you know that means he's two, right? <laughs> You know that means Shane Kinder's just wiping oh, his mouth, getting ready. Home, he's going to give up three home runs to lefties this coming. In, in, the, the, in the Seattle series, yeah. yeah. Um, and he only gave up earned runs in one, two, three, four, five of his appearances all year. Wow. He'd, man, he didn't pitch very much. It's pretty sad that he uh, got rocked by Oakland in the last ten days of the year. Because an ERA under one would have been pretty cool. But he's, he still ran away with it for me. Um, shout out to Thiel and his league best bullpen in San Francisco. But it's Vines. It's got to be Vines. I actually voted uh, Steve Young second ahead of Thiel um, because I'm going to be an ERA snob, snob like that. Yeah. Yep. I did I did as well. I'm going to tell you that. I snobbed um, it up. And then after that, it doesn't really matter. Nope, it's no probably cares. Viani and Spikes in some order, but I don't really care. If you oh, wanted to say a... Mike Clark, that would be I'm... fine. Fred Delk, that would be fine. I want to do a quick shout-out to uh, a guy who I put fifth on my ballot. Don't even know if he deserves it. Probably doesn't, but uh, Brad Neal. He was the closer in uh, Vegas. Yeah. Got traded to Colorado. Had an unbelievable second half for Colorado, and this is a huge reason why Colorado's scary. It's because now you got the ball in the hands of someone really good who strikes out guys in the ninth inning. Yeah, nice yeah. compliment to Allen and Scruggs there. A 2-8-7 ERA there in Colorado. Yeah, we didn't touch on him talking about Colorado, but he deserves a mention. And then we're gonna, I'm going to do the same thing here with Western Region Slugger of the Year. Um, there's one position that I'm not going to name because that's a conversation I actually do want to have. Um, but catcher, Kenan Ketcherson, first base, Ernesto Jimenez, second base, Steve Parsons, third base, Juan Ochoa, shortstop, Bobby Kinsey, left field, Mike Gomez, center field, Angel Trujillo, DH, Alexis Schumacher. Um, disagreements there, there? There's a couple. I, I don't think I have a disagreement. Uh, a couple close ones. Shortstop, Kinsey versus Ursino is tight. Mm -hmm. And uh, even first base. I voted Jeremy, or I voted Ernesto, Ernesto Jimenez as well, but a couple candidates there you could vote for. Oh, you could go Messner, uh, you could go David Thompson. I'd, I'd vote all three of those guys ahead of Tom, ahead of Jeremy Reese. Um, well, I'd, I would like to remind everyone that Silver Slugger is not a war vote. 
Um, just because the guy led in war does not mean that he's the correct guy for Silver Slugger. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to vote for Messner instead of Jimenez. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, boy, it's really close. And you're right, there are a lot of those guys, because David Thompson really has a claim to it as well. All three of those guys are effectively tied, right, in WOBA and WRC+. WRC+, park adjusted, probably makes a little bit of a difference. Um, but uh, I'm probably not going to vote for Jimenez. Um, he'll probably win. Because those juicy back of the baseball card stat guys like things like home runs and RBIs a lot, um, but uh, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I do too. But I the like rest back of the baseball card stats. But the rest of those things, I don't have any. I think you can make a case for Greg Kane uh, as shortstop in the West. Yeah. Um, but um, the one position that is going to be up for grabs, and this would not be up for grabs if Ryan Pruitt played 156 games, but Ryan Pruitt versus John Schwab. Do you go with Ryan Prout, who, among all qualified seasons, had the fourth highest OPS ever in a single season? Or do you go with John Schwab, who also had 1,000 OPS, but played 40 more games? I voted Pruitt. Um, I did as well. Send the races to Silky. Like, if it was close, of course I'm going to give the edge to the other guy, but it's just not close at all. Um, Pruitt and Silky, their years are... Close to top five, top ten all time. So, I gave the edge there. I mean, here are the so, seasons. Here are the players that had a better OPS in a given season than Ryan Pruitt this year. Lupe Villegas, 2006. Again, I still think that is the greatest hitting season in Sky history. Angel Trujillo last year. Joe Satters last year. End of list. Yeah, and then it's Pruitt and Silky, 4-5. It's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. And then Angel Trujillo at nine this year. Yeah, it's... It is isn't kind of important to note that uh, he is playing in Milwaukee, but I, I don't care. Uh, I love Schwab steals. That makes me think twice. But Pruitt still still bags. He does so much. Like if Let's say, hypothetically, he does play those 35 games that he missed. How bad would he have to be to lower all those stats down to Schwab's? It'd be pretty damn unlikely so there's effectively zero chance that that's the case right yeah you're right so I, that matters to me as stupid as it is so this one I wasn't think, close in my mind i i just think that's i voted for silky right field in the east and i'm going to vote for pruitt right field in the, the west and you can call that uh sort of talking out of both sides of your mouth and, right hypocritical but i don't put Silver Slugger in the same category as I do Position Player of the Year. I think one is a more prestigious award. And, of course, in the West, Position Player of the Year is a foregone conclusion because Trujillo's going to win it. But um, uh, I don't have as big a problem saying that I voted for Silky for right field Silver Slugger as I do saying that I voted for Silky as Position Player of the Year. Just don't think it's the same award. Don't think it's the same thing. But, uh, But I do agree with some of your arguments just as an aside i'm going to vote for jim brandon instead of ochoa at third because of games played thank you very much fair enough all right then let's end this beautiful beautiful postseason awards podcast with the gm of the year award i'll start with this one um i think there is a top three in my mind and I believe we've talked about this before, but the top three for me in whatever order is Washington, Colorado, Cleveland. Iggy, Keefe, and Grayson. They all made moves to help their team. Uh, Kiefer went out and got Scruggs and Andy Allen. 
Grayson went out and moved Luis Contreras, and I think that helped his team a lot. But at the end of the day, I, I went back and forth on this. I had Kiefer one, but I'm going to give it to Iggy Nacho. Um, say what you want, he didn't make the big moves, whatever. Sometimes the team just clicks. The team clicked this year. He went out and got Jared Leval at the deadline, and Leval was downright fantastic. He got Merguia at the deadline. Merguia was downright fantastic. John Rory had a fantastic year. He brought up Hathaway at the mid-year mark. Didn't uh, waste a year of service on him. I think that was a fantastic move. He traded for Greg Griffin in the offseason, and he was worth two and a half war. Um, So even though he didn't make the big move, he went with what he did. He didn't sell everything. And the team won 93 games, and I don't think you can penalize him for that. Not to mention he also oh. went out and signed Luis Andrade in the post uh, in the off season. So that's yeah. that's why I went uh, Iggy one, followed by Kiefer Grayson, and then four five Sterling uh, and Jay. Yeah, I could see it. Like I like you mentioned, we talked about this, so uh, it's not like we all just have the same similar opinions just because. Um, but we all, yeah, it's Colorado, Cleveland, and Washington. Um, I lean the other way. Um, I think Ignacio is probably running away with it. Um, like I said, not trying to take anything away from him. I'm really happy that someone new made the playoffs. But just the moves don't don't blow me away like, uh, like Colorado's moves. Um, going out and getting... Surefire super superstars making that investment to make your team better and making the playoffs because of it. That that means more to me than um, kind of hitting on moves that weren't so sure things. Like Merguia and Leval, like are they supposed to be as good as they were? No, and, and I, I don't want to penalize them because they were great, but they're not the reason. Like it's. I'm probably doing a bad job iterating what I'm trying to say, but I prefer the bigger moves for the superstars that Cleveland, excuse me, that Colorado made. And uh, that's it. I uh, don't entirely know what to add to the conversation. Um, I'm going to vote Adam Kiefer, uh, number one, uh, because I think when you go out and look at the rebuild here, this was just expertly done from the start. Um, there were years where he really just was willing to keep salary on everybody and just drafted, you know, 10 rule five guys, which is the most you can draft and just ran his team that way and was terrible for a couple of years and uh, drafted well and then made his move and made his move with sort of shrewd deals and shrewd deals in terms of Amamiya a couple years ago and uh, uh, this year Gomez and Andy Allen and uh, Scruggs and trading at the deadline for a closer, which was something the team needed. Uh, so I, I, I think that means a lot to me. I, I almost feel like this is sort of the we're rewarding your rebuild award. At some level. And yeah. um, uh, I think there will be another vote 
in Ignacio's future that he will win this award and probably deserve it a little bit more. And so now I, I think that D rich is probably right. He's probably running away with the award. I think that people just look at that win Delta, uh, and then just vote based on that. And I wish they wouldn't, I wish they would think about it a little bit more. Um, but, uh, my top five is going to be Adam Kiefer, Grayson, Carlisle, Ignacio Valencia, Sterling Simpson, and then David Everett. Um, uh, I don't really have a reason uh, other than I really like to see moves. I feel like there were more moves uh, with Colorado than than with other uh, folks, including Washington. But uh, let me say just for the record that I've been really a big fan of a lot of these rebuilds. Uh, Colorado's rebuild was really top-notch. Uh, I don't mean to discount Cleveland's rebuild in my talk of Minnesota's. Uh, that's been a podcast argument amongst Jake and I and D. Rich for a while. Uh, but I'm really pleased to see Cleveland back in the playoffs. The world just feels better when the Mets are playing Cleveland in the playoffs. just feels like a more happy place, right? Um, and uh, I'm thrilled that uh, there are teams that are not named uh, the Braves uh, in the playoffs and the Braves and the Pirates not winning the division in uh, in the Atlantic. And so uh, that's the way I went. Uh, I'm pleased to see the rebuild starting to go well in Boston. And uh, Sterling's going to get his due a little bit. So those are the reasons for my vote. Who would have thought the Nationals made the playoffs before the Reds? Who would have thunk it? <laughs> I don't know, man. I didn't think the Reds were ever going to make the playoffs. There was a time at this year where I would have thought it. But, you know. July 29th. Yeah. Somewhere um, yes, in there. Yeah, you were right. I didn't have this mentioned earlier, but Adam Bird did win uh, that September Pitcher of the Year. Um, thanks month. to... But pitcher yeah. of the Month, yeah. Uh, thanks to pitching uh, facing Oakland twice. Or San Diego twice and Oakland once. Um, unless there's anything you guys want to add uh, to what we've... The two and a half hours worth of stuff that we've already talked about. You know, I think we did a pretty good job covering this season. Sorry we didn't talk about the uh, teams at the bottom of the barrel, but whatever. Get good. Yeah. And it pains me to not make the playoffs like it really does. It sucks. But I'm fucking pretty happy that we're seeing new faces. Eventually, we're going to see some new ones. Maybe San Francisco gets over the hump. Maybe Boston gets back to where they were. So. When San Francisco makes the playoffs, he's going to wreck the playoffs. Yeah, I sort of hope that he has a, uh, pardon me for saying this, but I sort of hope he has sort of a Phillies playoff run where it sort of goes for a while. Doesn't have to win at all, but I hope that his first time in the playoffs is sort of not a, uh, you know, one and done sort of series, right? I hope that he has a nice run. So I think that's coming maybe as soon as next year. Well, for Trent and Dierich, I am Jake again, and thank you as always for listening to this edition of the Skyline Podcast. We will see you in Slack.